Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Obey. And this episode, in part because of uh, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, is called Taste the Rainbow. And just to be clear, we're not advocating licking your game, licking your TV, finding a Kirby amiibo and licking it. We just we just happen to like a good bag of Skittles every now and then. So, Taste the Rainbow. There you go. Although I, although I will say, only like half a bag of Skittles. The whole bag, like it gets too waxy, but half a bag, fun size, that's where it's at. Skittles are alright. Skills are alright. But, uh, anyways, <laughs> we're not just going to talk about skills, though. This episode... We're going to talk about Reese's Pieces. And M&M's, and Twix, and Heath Bars, and Take Fives. Have you ever had Take Fives? Like a pretzel, peanut butter, I chocolate, all kind of in like a little... Five. You have? No, I haven't. haven't. They're quite good. They're they're not that common, though, which is weird. In this episode of Round 10 Podcast, we're talking about candy for two hours. No, um, we have actual news to discuss. So basically, uh, this past week was the Game Developers Conference over in San Francisco, and uh, Nintendo was there. They weren't talking up virtual reality or augmented reality like, say, PlayStation and Xbox were, but they were there with a presence and a slew of indie eShop games, so we're going to kind of talk about those in this episode. Actually, going to lean pretty heavily on that, talking about both individual games and kind of analyzing how Nintendo's eShop strategy has been working for them thus far and where they're going from here. So that's all coming up. We also have those Kirby and the Rainbow Curse impressions, as mentioned, as well as Jose has been playing Lone Survivor for the eShop, so we'll talk about that. And we're introducing a new feature for the first time, a oh. podcast mailbag. We, out what? of the blue, thank you to uh-huh. a, uh, one of our listeners named Chris, out of the blue, we received a question for the podcast. So we're launching a mailbag now, and we encourage all of you to submit questions, and we'll explain how later in the show. So uh, use the timestamps around town.com for all the individual eShop games, all the impressions, all the news. We're also talking about Part 10 and Amiibo later on. Easiest way to do that, episode 92 on the blog. Uh, list it all out for you. But the big thing we're talking about, like I said, is the indie news uh, from GDC. So Nintendo actually announced a total of 37 Wii U downloadable tiles and 14 3DS downloadable tiles. And uh, to be clear, it's not even the full list of stuff coming to the eShop. That's just what Nintendo stuck in a press release. And uh, as regular listeners of the show are probably aware, there's kind of a constant stream of new eShop announcements that are already always happening. And they're, you know, they're from big companies, small companies, and we kind of covered them on the show when they're of interest. But what's particularly interesting about this time around, and with Nintendo's eShop news, is that there's kind of a shift occurring in the type of games we're getting for the eShop. We're seeing more stuff that really leverages the gamepad. We're seeing some big-name games in the indie space now coming to Wii U for the first time. So we're going to start kind of by talking about those higher-profile games, uh, spotlighting the ones we like the like that caught our eye the most, I guess you could say. And then from there, we'll jump into just kind of where Nintendo stands in the with the eShop versus other indie platforms and how it's doing and all that. So, um, and then of course the other news. So to kick it off, I guess the big the game that got the most buzz is probably Runbo for the Wii U. Um, this was first revealed, I believe, IndieCade last year, and we talked about it at that time. It's been that long. Yeah, well, last October, so it's only been six months. Oh, but it's been that long. <laughs> yeah, it's been that long. But yeah, this is for those who aren't aware. This is a nine-person, I don't know what's called, battle runner racer platformer thing from a new developer named 13AM Games. Uh, it's kind of a perfect fit for the Wii U. Uh, it w- it's basically this crazy local-oriented multiplayer experience, and we covered it when it was first announced. But for those who may not remember, the mechanics are basically that you can use literally every control option available for the Wii U, including like plugging a classic controller into a Wii remote and then splitting that between two people, so each one's on one half of the configuration. And then uh, all that you use to play up to nine people in this like side-scrolling battle royale of sorts where you're platforming, fighting, racing towards a finish line. 
So the um, it's essentially a two D side score with like big bold colorful graphics, uh, and the so it may be an arty two D side scroller. Like, yes, as we but, always nitpick about, but this one's different. But yeah, but it feels different. It's not. It doesn't give you that like, oh look at me, I'm so artsy kind of thing. It's just like oh look, at <laughs> it's like oh yeah. look how zany and fun this is. Yeah, it's total mayhem. And, and like, there there is one game in the list that I guess we'll touch on later that does kind of give me that. Oh, look at me. I'm so artsy. Yeah. Kind of feel. Yeah, I think I know what we're talking about. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. And call yeah. it out when we get there, for sure. But um, but the thing about Runbow is not just is it like, oh, it's another side-scroller, but it is more zany, and more to the point, it has this unique mechanic with the background color. So everything's flat, like, almost kind of vector art-looking. Yeah, it, does, it gives everything a reason, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes... Like, like you could think, like, oh, it's very simplistic. It doesn't look that... Right. It's not, it doesn't look big-budget at all, but... They end up using that to its advantage. Yeah, because what happens is, for those who are unaware, is there are platforms in the foreground of different colors. And the background color changes every few seconds. And when the background color matches the foreground color, the platform disappears. So not only are you battling it out with eight other people trying to get to the finish line, you also have to deal with the color change, which means you could be standing on a platform, suddenly the platform's gone and you're falling to your doom. So you have that mechanic on top of just the chaos of all the other people. So that's kind of its unique... Um, it's a unique twist, but as is the case with many of Nintendo's own first-party multiplayer experiences, uh, there's also items and attacks that factor in. So you can butt-stomp, you can kind of do like a spike or a smash of opponents off the screen. You can use items that have different effects, like turning a level gray temporarily so there's no color, or uh, flipping the screen literally upside down, kind of like how that Pokemon stage does in Smash Bros. Like, there's all sorts of different things that kind of keep it fresh. And what they showed at GDC was a brand new mode called uh, Color Master, which it's it kind of feels like the best environment on Nintendo's like competitive yet cooperative local multiplayer that they do with everything Mario, Four Swords, all of it. In this one, there's uh, and it also embodies the whole asymmetric gameplay idea. So in this one, you have one person on the gamepad and he's basically controlling the level. He's controlling when the colors change and what they change to. He's dropping bombs on the level. He's making lightning strikes appear. He's doing all sorts of stuff. And his goal is to kill all eight people before they reach the finish line. Uh, finish line, not live. Uh, finish live isn't <laughs> um, but then the people that are playing on the controllers they're on the TV their goal is to just get one of them to the end now ideally you would want to be the one because you are rewarded much like four swords where you're working together to achieve a goal but you're ranked as who does it best or who does it first so you want to get to the end and everyone wants to get to the end but as long as one of you gets to the end gamepad player loses and your team wins so it's kind of that whole idea of like competitive cooperation for lack of a better term so, I mean, really, this game seems tailor-made for Nintendo. It seems like a Nintendo game. Yeah. Like, and the art style's really cool with the silhouettes uh, and everything. It's just missing, um... Which it might, even, it might even end up getting the... So, they're showing off a lot of costumes. I guess that's, like, one of the biggest things about it. Right. Like, the customization, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have, like, Nintendo costumes or something. Yeah, I mean, given... Nintendo was one that actually reached out to 13AM Games and said, could you make this for Wii U? Basically, they saw a prototype at some event in Canada, and they're like... Wii U, perfect. So they reached out and said, hey, do you want to turn your prototype into a full-fledged game? And 13 AM Games is not stupid. If Nintendo knocks on your door and says, we'll help you make it, they're going to go, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, they showed a thing at the end of the trailer with a bunch of silhouettes of different costumes. Game & Watch would be a cool addition, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, time will Or like a Mario outfit or something. That'd be cool. They... You just got an email or a text on your computer. Oh. That's Jose's computer, not yours listening, so don't look at your phone, people. But um, You probably wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah, no, they, that was a very loud bing. They wouldn't have noticed. You have very loud notifications. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? 
Oh. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm sure I got you something because I already have like lumberjack costumes. And they have a girl playable character, a female playable character named Val, a male one named Hugh. That's another thing they announced is different genders. So they're they're fleshing it out. If they do do Game and Watch, they better keep his little staggered run that he does. Yeah, I doubt they. Well, I guess they could just the animation of it. You mean? Yeah. Like I yeah I guess they won't yeah, actually just, like slow him down or inhibit him. I mean, but... it would if anything it would make him easier to animate because you barely have to. Yeah. Yeah, and as you can imagine, um, it makes sense for them to do this sort of thing because uh, they're also doing exclusive exclusivity on Wii U. Because of the setup, it is a Wii U exclusive, which means they could easily put Nintendo characters in off to where, like, oh, well, if we port this, because it's never being ported. There's no way this can work on any other system. So, so we have a while to go. It's not out till Q3 2015, which is this fall, but it's already shaping out to be really cool. It looks like one of those games that's going to, like, make and break friendship. Make or break friendships, so. Well, we still seem fine after Smash Bros. Monopoly didn't really help. That was not a video game, but I, I think that... Oh, you just mean that, like our group of friends and what we yeah. played? Yeah, Monopoly kind of broke friendships. Smash Bros. kind of made friendships. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is interesting that like the system now has an eight-player game. So while well, in October this was outlandish, like nine people, who's going to get nine people around a Wii U? We've done it with eight without a problem at your house, so... Nine's not that much more to ask. Yeah. Of course, for people who can't even get eight together for Smash, well... Good luck ever playing this game as it's intended. But... Did you ever manage to get eight people to do the eight-player mode in Mario Party? I did not. But Pretty then fun. again, I barely got one or two people to do Mario Party. <laughs> I usually came to your house to do Mario Party. It's a really cool idea using half the GameCube controller each. Yeah, yeah. Like this, I mean, Rumbo kind of takes the idea, but just gives yeah. you the natural split between the two controllers because all that's connecting is the tether of the cord. But, uh, but yeah, so that's one of the very unique and probably one of the coolest uh, indie games that was shown at GDC. The other that's also very unique and also focuses on local multiplayer and a unique local multiplayer experience is Affordable Space Adventures, uh, which we've also talked about before. It was also highlighted at GDC. And unlike Rainbow, or sorry, Rumbo, this one is less about chaos and more about kind of like methodical exploration and the cooperation communication between the players as you go. You're like a little starship team, kind of. So, um, RP2D shooter. Yeah, no, this one is an RT2D shooter, but the concept is so cool that I'm going to overlook the no, no, no. millionth RT2D shooter we've seen. Uh, so we have discussed it before, and at the time we kind of made that same point. That's kind of, you know, not that special feeling. But it's from um, it's from the developer Find Spin the Bottle, which is, uh, in its own right, a bizarre eShop game for the Wii U. I can't believe I got it. What? I can't believe I got it. Yeah, me neither. And we talked about it on the show, too, didn't we? I don't know. A long time ago? Maybe not. But yeah, you do own Spin the Bottle. It's It's bizarre. But yeah, the developers are, cl- are creative guys. It's a Napnock Games, and they're working with the developers of Knit Underground, another Wii U eShop title, um, over at Niflis. I think that's how you say their name. And for the past year, they've been building this thing. And basically what it is, is your gamepad controls your ship. Your gamepad's your command center. So there's thrusters, there's you know there's uh, scanners, everything's on the gamepad, and also like a computer interface. Okay. And you're controlling a ship on the TV that's flying through these 2D areas trying to collect cheap parts for itself, Pikmin-style, kind of. And uh, what they showed at G- so this was on there, we talked about it before. What they showed at GDC is that there's now a co-op angle as well as this single-player one, where you kind of branch out the different tasks to different people. So uh, it's drop in and drop out, first of all. So you can literally just be playing, and someone could grab a Wii mode and also be your lieutenant or whatever. Yeah, sounds like a simplified version of Artemis. Oh yeah, you played that recently, didn't you? Artemis. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Pretty recently. For for those who don't know, you want to explain what it is, since this is kind of a Wii U equivalent. It's a game. Let's start there. That's um, so helpful. Oh, I guess it's a little hard to describe. It's essentially a role-playing game that uses a computer. You, everyone takes um, 
takes on a different job as either um, the weapons, the scientist, the navigator. Like someone pilots the ship, someone looks at the radars and only focuses on that. Someone else communicates with other ships, someone else is the captain, and they just like watch the screen and tell everyone what to do. And I guess like, yeah, you need everyone to be working together in order to get the ships even work properly. Right. And when you're like in the middle of a battle, like you have to wait for orders like to launch which type of weapons and load them into what, and like, where your shield should go. I don't know, it, it's it's really fun, but it's definitely the nerdiest game I've ever played. <laughs> well, this is the less nerdy equivalent, I guess. This is almost like a mainstream version of that. <laughs> Yeah, the other one, the other one's like super hardcore. Like, I I wouldn't be surprised if someone actually built like a mini spaceship and <laughs> set up little monitors. Right, because everyone spaceship. has their own separate screen, with their own separate yeah. thing going on. Right? And and if you look at like the interface, it's, it's over. Well, it looks overcomplicated, mm-hmm. but it just looks like a ton of information. That it looks like gibberish. But I guess like once you actually figure everything out, like oh, this is actually kind of cool. It's like I'm playing a like Star Trek, right? The game, uh, but you're like a passenger ship or something. Right, yeah. This uh, this one's definitely... I mean, I guess you can kind of get in the role-playing vibe of being like, oh, my lieutenant in command. But yeah, how it works for this one, which is really, now that you describe that, this sounds like a mainstreamed, like, stripped-down, simplified version of that, is uh, if someone jumps in and becomes player two, they will... Con- or player three, they'll become certain other aspects of the ship. So if you're player two, you're going to gain steering controls, which means the guy in the gamepad is now in charge of the logistics of thrusting and positioning the thrusters not thrusting that that sounded weird (laughs) player one's in charge of thrusting while player two guides the thrusting but um that's essentially what it is uh so you're in charge of all that while player the second player's in charge of pointing you in the right direction now if you had a third player they're in charge of the scanners of the area and the flares that you shoot yeah so how it works basically is the more people you pile on up to three uh you all are sitting there with your own controllers doing your own thing but you have to totally communicate because there's going to be parts where um for example there's obstacles or enemies where you have to hide your heat signature your ship's heat signature which means i as the gamepad guy will have to say okay i'm going to turn on the thruster to here but i need you to guide me so we just float past the heat signature detectors and then player three as we float past scan those things and see you know if there's a part inside them and then we can come back and hit it with a flare or something from far away you know something like that so it's kind of this like methodical basically what you're describing with the other game but just kind of more easy to pick up and play less nerdy i guess but uh yeah so i think i think it's a really cool idea because it's just like so on wii u at least it's so different from everything else i mean yes we've had 2d artsy shooters 2d artsy exploration games, oh, yeah, well, I mean, but this one's such a unique take on it yeah and it comes out really soon it's out march uh april 9th which is literally a month from now so i mean they've been working on it for over a year so that would make sense but i i think it's it sounds great um never have too many co-op games so yeah, and yeah, and I think the thing with the Wii U, and like it's true of Runbow too, but both these really demonstrate like not only can the Wii U provide kind of more unique experiences, but indies are really the ones latching on to making those experiences. Because frankly, Nintendo can't seem to care. Yeah, frankly, Nintendo's not maximizing the potential of the gamepad at all. I mean, yeah, there's asymmetric gameplay in Nintendo Land and Game of Wario, and yeah, there's maps and whatnot. But that and... was like. Um, two years ago? Yeah, when it yeah. came out. And I mean, yeah, there's maps and whatnot too, and like Mario Kart. Zelda will have it. Splatoon has one that helps you like jump around the stage. So they're using it. They're just not doing it in creative ways, I guess. So then you have these indie guys that are coming in out of nowhere and just kind of being like, hey, here's some legitimately new and interesting gameplay ideas that you can't do anywhere else. Like even Affordable Space Adventure, yeah, it mimics um, Art- Artemis, that was called? Yeah. In concept, but the execution's totally different. Like you, on the gamepad, you're literally... On at the, like, hull of the, not the hull of the ship, the control panel of the ship and, like, actually yeah, pressing it's cool. things. I mean, you could just 
play it. I mean, the other one requires a ton of setup for obvious reasons because yeah. everyone needs their own computer. And then you have to do a LAN network and yada yada. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's just kind of, I guess, it's like, it sounds so like cliche, but like, it's refreshing to see, but it is kind of refreshing to see that indies are filling this void of creativity on the Wii U to some extent, at least with these two games. Of course, not every single game necessarily needs to provide an entirely new experience that uses the gamepad like never before and, you know, yada yada. There's some games that just can be good and just use the gamepad for what it is. I mean, uh, Swords and Soldiers 2 is an example of that. The original was a Wii title originally, and that was ported over to pretty much every platform known to man. And uh, it, and for the sequel, they are using the gamepad, but it's done to essentially replicate what the Wii Remote did in the original, which is point and click, or what touch controls did in the original on iOS and Android, which is press and click, touch and go. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, basically. So it's basically that, and it's the same idea. Like in the sequel, for those who have never played Sword and Soldiers, it's a side-scrolling real-time strategy game. It's 2D flat. You're warring factions that are going at each other, but you're doing it from left and right, not from like a full, you know, world that's top-down. So for the new one, it's the same idea, but now it has the touch control, has a cool new art style that's kind of like a painted look, and they add a third faction, which has its own skills. This is by Ronimo, right? Yeah, this is Ronimo. The people that brought us Awesome Knots. Mm-hmm. On the PS3. This is what they cut their teeth on, if I remember correctly, was uh, Sword and Soldiers, and they did Awesome Knots after that. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming back to Sword and Soldiers. So, uh, so again, it's one of those things that, like, the gamepad enhances it, but in this case, it doesn't necessarily make or break, you know, it's not like, check out this entirely new experience you've never done. This is basically a mobile game in HD that leverages the touchscreen to its advantage, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with. It builds up the library. There's nothing like it on Wii U, so the more the merrier sort of deal. I mean, personally, I don't know if it's, like, necessarily something I would buy, but it's good to have that variety, I think. And it just looks like high production values. So, I mean, another... um, Kind of another example of this, where it's a game that it uses the gamepad, but it's not necessarily, you know, a fancy new use of it. Is uh, innovative. Yeah, it's not as innovative necessary as Don't Starve, which is an existing. This is one of the first games that, when I said that there's some big name indie games now coming to the eShop for the first time, this is one of the examples. Don't Starve. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing it for Vita and PS4, and I'm like, well, I really want to play this game. It's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And this one, what's really neat about the art this? Style. Yeah, it's a really cool art style. It's kind of like a, it almost looks like a cave painting sort of etching not etching which is rough it's yeah just, it's, it's very just, rough it's just, it's just roughly animated but it's like traditionally animated which is really cool yeah and it looks like a pop-up book yeah there we go pop-up book I couldn't quite find the word for his deck I think just because it has a lot of brown backgrounds I just imagined like immediately went to cave painting but uh, yeah so for what they're doing on Wii U they're calling it the definitive version because um, they're going to be combining the existing core game with the upcoming uh, Reign of Giants expansion into one thing for Wii U that they're calling Giant Edition which is relatively fitting. So uh, for those who maybe haven't played Don't Starve, I mean, you're a little familiar with it, but some may not be. It's basically a third-person roguelike adventure where it's kind of like that mixed with Minecraft almost in some ways. Not in creativity, just in how it's structured in that uh, you're basically trying to stay alive as long as you can, hence the name Don't Starve. So it's split up between day and night activities. So you're in an open-world, randomly-generated game. It looks kind of kind of like a 2D Zelda, like that kind of top-down angle sort of. But uh, during the day, your your goal is to get food, to collect firewood, kind of get a sense of the world around you and collect items and make recipes with your food. And then at night, kind of like in Minecraft, that's when the baddies come out, and then the goals shift, and instead of just foraging for food, you now have to make sure your area is lit well so bad, uh, bad guys don't show up in it. And if they do show up in it, or if you do encounter them, you have to fight them. So that's, that's the basic, basic premise. And it's, you know, it's just kind of an open-world adventure game. Um... And what they're doing for the Wii U one, for again, a gamepad use that isn't necessarily amazing, but will help enhance it for sure, is it's got a map. 
for the first time, which apparently is a very highly requested feature across every single version. There has not been a map in any version of the game. Well, they didn't have a second screen. Yeah, but they and they could not pause menu with a map. But yeah, they're they're now gonna have a map and they'll have quick inventory yeah, access. Intrusive. That is true. It is intrusive. See, that's the benefit. It breaks of the, the gameplay. It's true. You sign Nintendo right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they're gonna have the the map. They're gonna have a quick inventory access and uh, the developers that. Clay, Cly Entertainment, and Nintendo themselves are both calling this the definitive version of the game and its expansion. So, it's one of those things like the way you can help make it better isn't necessarily breaking new ground, but it's another game that there really isn't anything like on the Wii U currently. We don't have anything like this. So, between this and, say, um, you know, Sword and Soldiers 2, it's just broadening the variety of games that we can get. Yeah, so much variety. Like, um, even with that other game, um, we already talked about it once here. I don't know why I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one where you're shooting, you're like on a castle and you're like shooting ballistas and stuff at Storm the Storm the Cap? No. Storm Castle Siege? No. Castle Storm? Castle Storm Storm the it's a WiiWare title. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, it's fine because when we were talking no, no, about no, no, it's definitely not uh, WiiWare. Oh Castle Siege. No, Siege it, Castle. I, I think hey, if anyone knows what we're talking about, leave a comment. Let us know. I think it's something Storm. Well whatever it is, yeah. your point. No, yeah, like I love how like I think that game, like it's still like nothing else, and then yeah. we're getting. I don't know, just yeah, no, it's cool, and it's and it's nice that like part of the reason I that these games caught my eye in particular is because it does break the mold for the most part of what we complained about for so long on the on the show here is that every single indie game is like a Metroidvania, two D side scroll, or a super artsy platformer, yeah, I mean, and the majority of these are not. Yeah, like it's. I mean, it's fine that you could be an artsy two D side scroller, but it's better when you're I don't know, creating a new gameplay mechanic or doing something else like. The next game... Now, yeah, to throw everything that we just said out the window, the next game is an artsy 2D size color. In, in, the, in the exact sense of the way that, we've, that we always mean it? Yes, but, so, but its backstory almost makes it a fair trade, I think, because it's, a very, it's very unique how this game came to be, and it did get good reviews on other platforms. So it's kind of like, oh, well, it's cool, that's coming here now. Yeah. But it is, to a T, exactly what we just said. We don't like and what has luckily been avoided, and that's uh, no. Never Alone. Yeah. So, I mean... Again, like we're not saying like these it's are not bad. Yeah, that we're not saying any two D or two D sector is a bad game. It's just tired. Like, yeah. Like when I like when I saw the trailer for it and the footage, I was like, this just looks like um, like it just looks like it plays like any other like or two D side scroller. Like it looks like it plays like Limbo. Like yep. Um, that other game. Oh, that other game. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> There's oh, so I, many. I, I'm blanking out on. There's so many. Uh, but, well, here's where it's different and this is why i think it's actually worth highlighting it's it's not simply another puzzle platformer 2d atmospheric art style this one actually has a backstory that is helping people and is providing educations and preserving a culture which sounds kind of ridiculous when i say that it sounds so like so overly like you know like over like oh yeah it's a preserving culture but basically never alone is based on actual alaskan indigenous folktales and what the developers did, this developer named e- Eli Mia, is they work closely with a um, organization called. Hold on, let me. I have it written down here. Uh, the Cook Inlet, the Cook Inlet Tribal Council. And long story short, Alaskan indigenous populations aren't the hugest thing ever. It's just like any Native American population. You know, they're kind of in their own little bubble and they're shrinking and whatnot. But um, so what they did with this is they want to preserve these folk tales because it's such a core part, I guess, of Alaskan culture. At least it was that the, the developers and the council worked together to create a game around some of the most common folktales. So it actually is an edutainment game in a weird, twisted way. Mm. So basically you control two characters, as with a lot of these platforms. You control a girl named uh, Nuna and an Arctic Fox. 
and together you're solving puzzles. So Nuna, she can pick up objects. The Arctic Fox runs fast. She's going to get her to do stuff. You can do co-op where one's, one person's one and one person's the other. But more to the point, there's eight chapters, eight different stories, all of them based on actual, real folk tales. And some of the proceeds from this game, I'm not sure if it's true for the Wii version, but the other version, some of the proceeds went double back over, if not all the proceeds, double back over to the Cook Inlet Tribal Council, who in turn, apparently their mission is to help the uh, indigenous people in Alaska who have acclimated into the urban areas and just help them kind of get their bearings if they need help, you know, find a job or whatever, because they're, for better or worse, there's probably some racism. So all that, the money from this game goes to help them have a better life, all while telling you their folktales. So it's like this weird, like, feedback loop that kind of creates. And yeah, it's not the most original-looking game, but how often do you hear an indie game that actually has, like, a, a purpose? Or actually, like, help, like, teaches you, like, a real thing and then helps the people who made that real thing. You know what I mean? Okay, all right. That's so, really it, cool. and again, it's not like, the most creative game, but it almost... I It almost makes it more interesting that it has this whole backstory. It has this history to the it. The backstory does help, but I mean... Like, dude, something could have... I mean, obviously, I mean, the game looks like it, it plays just fine. It's just... Yeah. And it did get good reviews. I mean, if the game sucked... No, no, yeah, like... I mean, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about no, it. No, no, yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure, like, it did fine. Like, it just looks like... It just looks very generic. Yeah. But it looks like a fun... Well, I mean, it looks like a fine game. generic. Mo- modern, modern generic. It, it, it's the new generic, yeah. The new generic. But, but yeah, I mean, if the game wasn't good, if the I puzzles mean, weren't I mean, good... It looks, I mean, it looks that. really polished. I mean, like, when they nail the... Like the the art direction they were going for, it like just looks. I mean, the game. It looks really, a lot like Lost Ones. Yeah, at it, first. Yeah, it, 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 it looks. It does look really nice. It does look really nice. But yeah, it's just. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. But um, and again, I don't even know if we would necessarily be talking about it if it wasn't this crazy backstory to it. Because most indie games, it's just like, yeah, I'm a guy in my garage. It's me and a buddy, and we decided to make World of Goo, and now we're 2D boy, and we also made a game about a fireplace. Like that's you know, it's one backstory, and there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, follow your dreams ordeal. But then when you have someone that's actually like, yeah, we're trying to preserve a culture and help people that, you know, that, that gave birth to this culture and yada, yada, yada. It's just kind of like, wow, it's a game with a bigger purpose. You never, ever see that. So that alone is what caught my eye about it. And I'm not trying to be like, I'll preach, like, oh, you should buy this game and support them. It's just like, it's kind of cool that video games have reached a point where they can actually serve a goal that isn't just a create, you know, a creative outlet or whatever, or making money. So, so yeah, again, it's not, it did get good reviews. The puzzle was supposed to be pretty well done. But it's by no means the most immediately eye-catching. It's just that that under that lower not underbelly, but the behind-the-scenes story that to me was the most interesting thing about it. But if you want if you want a game that's just bizarre and weird on every front, backstory, front story, all of it, uh, I would like to introduce you to a game called Octodad: Dadliest Catch. Now, it's a pretty well-known game. It's probably one of the most well-known, best well-known games in the indie world. And it's now coming to Wii U unexpectedly. So this was a PS4 indie darling for since the PS4 came out. Or Sony's been promoting it as if it was a first-party game. Well, you know, you go to game... What? Yes, yes, indeed. Because like at GameStop Expo, when Elvis and I went, they had costume characters of Knack, Sackboy, and Octodad. He was treated like a first party, and now suddenly, out seemingly out of nowhere, he's coming to Wii U as well. So um, if you've never heard of Octodad. It is one of the strangest games you will probably ever play, and it does not benefit any sort of indigenous folklore or anything. It's just a crazy concept. It doesn't save the octopi. It doesn't save the octopi. There's no squids that are being integrated into a larger population that this is helping with. Nothing like that. Uh, the premise is basically that you're an octopus masquerading as a human who needs to raise his family. Yep. That, that's it. You are an eight-tentacle creature stuffed into a human business suit, 
and you kind of wobble your way through the world and do you silly to, You have to control every limb separately. Yeah, that, so you use both thing. analog sticks, among other things, to move this guy around, and because he's eight tentacles... Yeah, and, and you switch from arm, between the arms and the legs. Yeah. I would definitely buy this game if I hadn't watched Elvis play the whole thing. But right, it, and it's pretty short, too. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a really short game, but I don't know, it, it's, it's funny, it's goofy. It's super unique, it, and I just love the concept of... Just a movie, just playing him around, it's, like, it's, it's just fun. Yeah. And then I guess just like the idea that... um. He clearly looks like an octopus, and like no one. But no one acknowledges like, it. Even his wife, and they're like, "Wait, how did they have kids?" Well, well. Because she. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, well, I don't want to really spoil. Yeah, so I, much. I was about to say spoiler, but I saw myself. But yeah, I the mean, spoiler is she's an octopus too. No, that's not the spoiler. No, it's just funny, like the little like things she'll say, like, like "Oh, like you're acting so weird. Like you, you seem to hate the the aquarium, and you, yeah, and you insisted on like flooding the basement, or I don't know what." Yeah, and it's just it's just so great because you like you turn on the <laughs> game, and all you see is an octopus stuffed into a human suit, just like flailing. Oh, I think my favorite one was um. Like, he looks like one of those um car dealership inflatable <laughs> yeah. guys, just in a business suit. And then my favorite one was like, oh, we're out of printer ink. But then all of a sudden, you said you'll take care of it. And then you went to your office. And then, and then there was ink. Yeah. <laughs> Although that that's technically a squid, not octopus, isn't it? Or do octopus pie yeah, shoot yeah, ink, yeah, too? They, they, they oh, okay. But yeah, so this game is super bizarre. It's uh, the, the Wii U port is being handled by uh, Panic Button, who's also doing the upcoming Vita, PlayStation Vita version, which I guess explains why it's now coming to Wii U. Because the concept of a PS4 to Wii U port is kind of crazy. PS4 is so much more powerful, but they're already downscaling it to Wii or to Vita. It's an easy jump to Wii U at that point. But yeah, it's coming this summer. We have no idea how, if at all, it's going to use the gamepad or any Wii U features. So it kind of flies in the face of all the other games we talked about, where they do use them kind of interestingly. But but also, it's so insane that who cares? Yeah, it's one of those games that you. I mean, we do. Well, it's good to have innovative games. It's also, yeah. I think, just as good to have a bunch of games that they just do their job and don't try to shoehorn the gamepad yeah. in. I agree. Because people sometimes forget that... Well, I guess developers sometimes forget that they don't have to use the gamepad, mm-hmm. so they automatically write the Wii U off, and they're like, oh, I'm not going to make a game for it. Yeah. And I think and I think what you're saying... I mean, have it off and just use any other controller. Yeah, do what Donkey Kong did. Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze literally turns off the gamepad. Yeah. But uh, what... And I think your point about shoehorning gamepad use in is kind of what I was trying to say. I just couldn't find the words for it and talking about the games that are, are like gamepad enhanced, but not necessarily better for it. Or they are better, but they're not like a core function, you know, Sword and Soldiers 2, uh, Don't Starve, all that, they're enhanced by the gamepad, but it's not like in a shoehorned way where they're like, oh, hey, uh, to light the fire with your firewood and Don't Starve, you gotta rub the gamepad. Like, that's unnecessary and dumb, and luckily no one's going that route. So I'm glad that Octodad most likely won't either, because why? Why would it? The only thing I could think of is some sort of mini game where you have to use all of his tentacles and you just touch him around or something, but who knows? It's kind of summer, though, which is pretty... pretty soon and I'm actually weirdly very excited for this just because of the sheer ridiculousness and I'm sure the game's super meta about itself like there's no way it can't be so uh, so yeah that's coming up and that, that's kind of a brief overview of like the big eShop third party Wii or indie eShop games that are coming in the next uh, little while to the Wii U but what's kind of interesting is um, Nintendo did as I mentioned have over 30 Wii U eShop indie games alone at GDC and that's not even all of them but what we're seeing now is like more and more companies are jumping in more and more indies are getting on board and it's not just like the usual suspects it's perhaps for the first time we're now seeing existing indie games Octodad Don't Starve Never Alone they're making a jump as well we're seeing established properties now coming to Wii U for the first time which is kind of a new thing and I think a lot of the increased attention kind of stems oddly enough 
from the fact that the eShop isn't a super big indie player like, say, Steam or iOS or the Android app stores. Um, and GamesIndustry.biz actually talked with a lot of the developers of games we just talked about and kind of broke it down that that's exactly what's going on. Because one point that came up with multiple developers in that interview was that um, it's much easier to get exposure on the eShop than it is on any of the other app stores. If you post something to Steam, if you're posting something to the, app, uh, the iOS or Android stores, what's going to happen is you're most likely going to be buried right away. You're most likely going to have to do a scheme such as uh, pay your way up the app store chart. I don't know if you know about this. In China, you can basically pay a shady company to run a couple hundred thousand iOS devices that manually buy your app and raises up the charts. Like, that's an actual marketing strategy that is used by companies because they have no choice. Things get buried. Apple will highlight maybe five or six games, but there's, you know, 30,000 released in any given time, and you want yours to float to the top. And then, of course, once it gets there, it sustains its own momentum because people are like, oh, this looks cool. But how you get them to go, oh, this looks cool. The difference with the eShop is Nintendo is basically giving the indie games the extra push for free. You know, um, you can go to the eShop, and you can see a banner for Smash Bros. on one side of the screen, and then literally right next to it, in the exact same giant banner size, would be, say, Runbow or Don't Starve. Like, they don't have to, A, spend a lot of money hijacking the App Store chart, and B, even have to worry about that, because if they're making a quality product that Nintendo's willing to back, and it's presumably most indies are trying to make a quality product, they're going to end up getting featured in some way on the homepage. So it's much easier to be discovered on the eShop and the other half of that is on Steam, sure, you can charge a decent price, but on iOS and Android, if you charge more than two or three bucks, no one's going to buy your game. People scoff at a six or eight dollar game. Six or eight dollars is considered bare minimum for the eShop. People on the eShop are comfortable with ten or fifteen dollars. Yeah. So you can, like, that's partly, I mean, Ron and I thought 24 yeah. um, tipping star, that was what? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tipping, Mario vs. Donkey Kong tipping star is the cross platform one. Yeah, that one's 20, and that kind of caused you a balk, but you probably would have been cool with it at 15, right? Or even 10. I would have been cool with it at 10 or 15, yeah. Yeah, because we're used to that. And that's something that indies really I mean, like, is we can go, oh, hey, yeah, Don't Starve looks cool. I'd pay $12 for that. I mean, I get that um, you get both versions for the Wii U and yeah. DS. But for some reason, it's like, I don't know, it feels like I'm paying for the extra version even if I didn't want it. Yeah, you basically are. Because we're, we're, we're essentially being conditioned into certain pricing structures. Again, like, if you go to, the, if you go to iTunes there, or the App Store, there's no way I would pay more than 5 bucks for a game. Just because that seems weird for an app store. Oh, I'm getting a phone game that's $6, but all the others are one or two. Why? But on the eShop, it's totally normal. And this is actually why, for example, uh, Ronimo Games, the guys behind Sword and Soldiers 2, they specifically said they're launching Sword and Soldiers 2 on the eShop, Wii U eShop, exclusively first. Like, it'll first come to Wii U and then go from there. Because on the Wii U, they can go, here's a $10 game, and people will be like, or 12 or whatever it is, and people are like, yes, I want that for that price. But if they go to the App Store and say, here's Soren Soldiers 2 for $10, everyone on the App Store is going to be like, are you high? I'm not paying that much. It's the same game. It's the same quality product. And if they make it free fact, and then they yeah. can buy stuff. And... Right, yeah, and then you have to go to freemium or something. So many developers find it easier to just put on the eShop at the price they want people to pay, and those people will pay it. Well, on the App Store, it's kind of a crapshoot if they'll actually pay it or what you should price it as, or you risk losing money because if you price it too low... And even if it matches the sales of the eShop, if it's priced at the App Store expected price, you're losing revenue right there. So that's why a lot of these developers are now saying, hey, we could bring it to the eShop and make more money off it, and Nintendo will promote it so we get more exposure. So in the end, we can actually generate more money this way than if we did some other platform. It also helps that Nintendo itself is very hands-on with uh, all these games. They, In the case of Never Alone, for example, the developers at Eline were saying that Nintendo helped them get the game up and running on the Wii U in two weeks. 
That's unheard of to develop a game. To have it fully working in two weeks. I mean, granted, they're polishing it, they're cleaning things up, they're adding co-op, they're adding local co-op, um, but that's extremely fast. So, so that's why the indies are kind of coming to Nintendo, and separately at GDC, Nintendo also kind of gave us a peek into their end of the spe- their end of the situation and how they deal with things. So, because uh, you know the games we mentioned are all quality products, there's no doubt about that. But as we discussed in the past, Nintendo kind of has an open door policy towards the eShop, where if you're using Nintendo Web Framework, if you're using the free Unity engine tools, your game's basically guaranteed to be on the eShop. It doesn't matter how good or bad it is. It will be on the eShop. And what um, what Damon Baker, who is Nintendo's senior manager of licensing, and kind of the new Dan Adelman. Dan Adelman was like the eShop like figurehead of like the indie shepherd, kind of like the indie go-to guy. Uh, Damon's kind of taking... What? Was he responsible for the word? The word Nindy came from Damon Baker, I believe. And Damon Baker's kind of filling that role. They have a whole team, to be clear, but there's always a figurehead. There's always like kind of a leader of the pack. And Damon Baker's become that guy. And what he was saying in an... Head in- off the head. Yes. Head apart. Well, except there's a new head that grew, and his name is Damon Baker. But, um, <laughs> but Dan Allen is doing his own thing, now there's Damon Baker. But uh, he was saying to... He that name. He, yeah, he was saying to Engadget, Damon Baker was saying to Engadget, that... Um, Nintendo's process is, yes, they have an open-door policy, and it can result in less-than-star games, but Nintendo does dedicate a lot of time to helping developers who make those quality products. So yeah, Nintendo's base catch is, okay, we'll take anything. We're like Steam Greenlight. We'll just, anything can be brought in. But the things that we'll choose to highlight, the things that we'll choose to really pour our energy into are the quality things. And that's why, like, the games we talked about, these seven games, or how many there were, are all actually quality games. There was no spiky walls in that list or anything, because, yeah, I could come to the eShop, but Nintendo's not promoting it that hard or helping it that much. Oh, and the way walls. that Nintendo... What? No, the spiky walls. Or that, um... We'll get other... to Meme Run. Don't say Meme no, Run. No, no, we'll no, 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 no. The, the other game on the 3DS that I saw a trailer for, it's, like, it's essentially, um, Flappy Bird. Uh-huh. You're, a dove, you're a pigeon in France. Oh, French... French flyer, French pigeon, pigeon French. I know what you're talking about. It's a French bird. Yeah, but it's in 3D. He wears a beret. So okay, they, he wears a beret. They, they did more. <laughs> That's innovation in the Flappy Bird space, wearing a beret. <laughs> yeah. but, but no, uh, so Nintendo kind of approaches developers in a few different ways that I thought were kind of interesting. For one, as you talked about with Rumbo, they will actually reach out to people and be like, hey, bring your game to us. And, if, you know, like I said earlier, if Nintendo knocks on your door and says, we want to support you, no, no one in the right mind is going to be like, nah. <laughs> like it's Nintendo they have money they have resources granted sales might not be the best for their system but more likely than not you will join in but beyond just asking people to bring the games it actually help them make the games so in some ways that means um, you know giving them some examples or ideas of how to use the Wii U gamepad or 3DS in a way that's not shoehorning as you were saying but kind of more like core functionality and, and even just less than that they will help developers like here's how I write a press release Here's how I put out a good fact sheet. Here's what you should do in a demo. Here's the things you. Here's the points you want to make about your game in this demo. And I'll kind of walk them through the entire process, and then they'll highlight them on the eShop. So Nintendo doesn't do exclusivity windows. They don't. I know Xbox does. They don't require you to only make your game for their platform. Developers can choose. They don't. There's no money changing hands. They just want to help the indies make a game that people will want to buy, and then show that game in a way that people will know it exists, and then choose to buy it. So it's kind of a different strategy. There's no money hatting or anything like that, but it, it seems to slowly but surely be working for them. And it's like they're uh, trying to, I don't know, they, they, they just sound like the good guys, like really, yeah. I don't know, like like a, your stereotypical like super friendly guy, like oh man, everyone wants to work with him. Yeah, I mean, and the thing, so is, nice. the thing is, you rare back in the WiiWare days or like the 3D, the DSiWare days, you heard so many stories of like 
Nintendo's like they wouldn't give me a developer kit or like they're they like shut down my game like they get, it got lost in the like uh, lot check process you know like just all these stories about how Nintendo's not like very closed off they've opened up a lot with the eShop and it's definitely noticeable like that's why we're seeing so many more and I mean Nintendo has to Baker made a point in that interview that uh, these games are filling a void they're without saying these words directly he basically said there's no third party support for Wii U but these indie games can fill the gaps in between our first party releases that part he did actually say so if they can't get Square Enix or EA or Activision to release games, they can instead turn to these indies who they can kind of shepherd in and help make the games. And then boom, you have quality games that use the gamepad in interesting ways on your system, filling the gap between now and Splatoon or between you know Splatoon and Zelda or whatever. So it's kind of a win-win for Nintendo. They get more games. They get to demonstrate why the gamepad actually makes sense and isn't a crazy idea that they shouldn't have done which you could argue it is. And in return, the gamers get more games to play and it looks like they have a more fleshed out release schedule. Yeah. I mean, that's why indie games, if you look at Nintendo's financials that they release every quarter, they have like an upcoming release list and now it says under third party, you know, things like Armillo when it, before it came out or now they have, you know, probably Octodad or that sort of thing. It's just, they're, they're treating these guys like they're the new third parties and they, they kind of have to. Yeah, they are technically third parties. Yeah, so that's, that's at least in Nintendo's ideal world how this is all going to work and how this all should work. That's not to say all is well in general, though, because, uh, frankly, Nintendo's still working with a pretty small install base. That means fewer sales across the board, and uh, we finally actually got a look at sales for the eShop for the first time ever. At a panel by Tiny Build's uh, Mike Rose, he provided kind of ballpark estimates for every platform's indie sales. Yeah, Wii U and 3DS, well, they're a little different. So first, Wii U. Um, in the worst-case scenario, if you're a Wii U indie developer and you have a poorly-reviewed game that's exclusive to the platform with no marketing and no Nintendo push, your sales could be as low as 300 to 1,000 copies in total. There's no way you're breaking even if you sell 300 games. Uh, now, on the other hand, if your game's well-received and you do have a little marketing, you could perhaps, and maybe even have a multi-platform release so people are aware of it prior or outside of the Wii U bubble, you can look at maybe closer to 10,000, which again isn't spectacular. But if you go do really well, if Nintendo's super helpful with pushing your game, and if you have good marketing, if you get really good reviews and buzz is built, you can look at 60,000 or higher downloads. You know, games like Shovel Knight, for example, exceeded that because they had a huge, there's a really solid game. It was um, very heavily marketed by Nintendo. I would argue Nintendo marketed felt, Shovel Knight it, it heavier like than Donkey Kong. Game. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I would argue they shot, they help Shovel Knight from a marketing perspective more than they did Tropical Freeze. They sure Freeze. shoved that game down our throats. They sure did, and it was really good, so I'm okay with that. They didn't get me to buy it, though. But it got me. <laughs> but, um, and, six, and the thing is, 60,000 isn't a huge number, but it's not a disappointing number either. Let's say you're not Shovel Knight. Let's just say you're a relatively successful one at 60,000. Because uh, apparently, according to developers of Runbo, they told GameIndustry.biz that on average, a Wii U indie game can cost between half a million and a million dollars to make. If you then turn around and charge 10 to 15 bucks for that game, and you get 60000 in sales, you're breaking even or even getting a profit at that point. So you're not going to become a millionaire overnight with the eShop, but if you're a passionate developer that wants to make a name for yourself and slowly build up a fan base, and you make a quality game that Nintendo's backing, which, assuming you make a quality game, they will do, you can pretty much guarantee that you're not going to lose money on the proposition. You will at least be able to break even and probably turn a small profit, but you'll get enough revenue to sustain yourself. Mm. So so that's the good news, is that even with these low sales, because the prices are higher than some other platforms, you're guaranteeing that you can pr hopefully in most cases break even and maybe make a profit right off the bat and obviously as you build a reputation sales will increase and then you can make a profit much easier and maybe one day become a millionaire so so it's one of those things <laughs> that like dream. yeah and these are completely 
just be clear, these are total, like, all these numbers are averages. They're not guaranteed. Like, Shovel Knight obviously exceeded this in, like, I think it's first month. So, so you know, it varies. But on the 3DS, things are a little better. So if you're in indie that wants more money up front, um, but of course, keep in mind, games are cheaper on 3DS. Uh, so the low end of 3DS sales, instead of 300 to 1,000, is more like 5,000 to 10,000 in downloads. And the higher end can be as high as 200,000, which is definitely more than 60. So, so for comparison, uh, the PlayStation indie scene on PSN is roughly the same as the 3DS's. So the Wii U is definitely a notch below. But if you want to be a nindy, so to speak, 3DS can at least be comparable to how things go on PlayStation. Just PlayStation currently has a bit more visible of an indie program, I'd argue. But Nintendo, Nintendo's getting there. Um, but even what about Microsoft. Microsoft is interesting. Microsoft had the ID at Microsoft or ID at Xbox program for a long time, independent development. For Xbox Live, the Xbox Live Arcade, they were one of the, probably at the forefront of this whole thing with Xbox Live Arcade, and then it kind of just fell apart at one point, and it kind of turned a blind eye to it. And then Xbox One didn't really have much, but at GDC they announced a new app development program. Xbox One's going to run Windows 10, which is what obviously Windows 10 is going to run, and Windows Phone, and so computers, Xbox, the Hololens goggles, all of that is going to be Windows 10. Which means if you make a game or an app for any of those, they'll work on anything else with a few minor tweaks. Mm. So their approach to indie is, hey, make it for one, make it for all. You get four times the audience because you have four different devices you could be on. So they they rolled that out at GDC this week, and I think they're now going to push pretty hard to get indies because it's a big it's a big space. I mean, PlayStation's killing it in, on that front. I'd say if you were a ranking, you'd go like Steam and Play. Steam is probably the top dog. PlayStation's probably right under that, just in terms of like cachet. And then you probably have Nintendo followed by Xbox, or maybe Nintendo and Xbox are tied. But which is weird because I feel like Nintendo's doing a much better job than Microsoft. But um, yeah, Microsoft's trying to tear it around. Nintendo's trying to you know up their game a bit. But even you know even with those sales numbers, it's still worth mentioning that not every single game on the eShop is going to be a success. It's always a gamble, and it doesn't. And sometimes even if you are a success, you run into issues down the road, like Meme Run, which is this is a crazy one. Okay. So, um, basically, this is probably the most talked about eShop game at the moment, because what happened was, the game always had issues, I should say. It was created as a tongue-in-cheek runner game, like auto-runner game, and it had more memes than you could shake a stick at, and they just kind of crammed them in. It looked like it was made in Microsoft Paint in 10 minutes, it had annoying sound effects, and first they ran into an issue with a Call of Duty rifle being in the game, so they updated it and took it out. Then they ran to a much bigger copyright issue when the man who owns the rights to the troll face, which I didn't know someone could own the rights to, <laughs> but this dude on DeviantArt owns the rights to the troll face, said to Ninja Pig Studios, got to make a game, yeah, um, you're going to need to not make that the face of your game, no pun intended, because the troll face is mine. <laughs> see, see, the troll face of the game. <laughs> but uh, and Ninja Pig said, "Oh well, we, we we can't we can't discuss this. This is you know we can't tell you sales because they're like, how much are you making off this? We can't let you do this. They're like, well, we can't discuss it. So this isn't like you know we we have a contract with Nintendo. We're not allowed to discuss sales or anything. So and it just kind of blew them off. So then he sent the DMCA takedown notice to which is basically the type of notice that takes down a YouTube video to Nintendo, and within 24 hours it's pulled from the eShop. Wow. So it doesn't mean it's gone for good." Um, if they work out the copyright differences, it could come back. But the point is that, like, the eShop has a problem. You, all online store sh- storefronts have copyright issues. There's, you know, there's clones of Mario popping up on Android and iOS all the time, and they get shut down. There's emulators of Game Boy that get shut down. There's so many Pokemon emulators. Yeah, there's so many. But And those can slip through because they have, like, 100,000 apps. They have, like, literally hundreds of thousands of apps. I think um, iOS has, like, 900,000 apps now. But Nintendo doesn't have that many. 
And unlike those other guys, Nintendo actually has, from my understanding, unlike the other guys, Nintendo has a lock check where they bug test your game for you to some extent. And yet no one goes, gee, that's a copyrighted image. Like, Nintendo doesn't quite have the same excuse that we have so many games coming and we can't handle it. Unless, I guess you could argue they have a smaller staff. But even then, this seems this is the first time there's been a takedown notice. It just struck me as a little strange. And then, of course, there's other issues with the eShop. Like, the one long-rumored issue is that the Unity engine, the free Unity tools for Wii U are glitchy and buggy and don't quite work right, which is why so many of those eShop games we talked about in the past have been delayed so many times. Cube? Most notably Cube. Cube Director's Cut... Was supposed now they haven't confirmed this. This is just a suspicion, but it was supposed to come out in April of last year. I played it at Indiecade in twenty thirteen in October twenty thirteen, and it was almost done at that point. And I got delayed, and I got delayed again, and it just vanished off the face of the earth. Well, just this past uh, couple weeks, the developers announced, "Oh, hey, remember her game? We have this game called Cube. Well, it's coming out in April or May now on all platforms." So it looks like they finally worked out the kinks. It's possible. Finally. It's possible that it wasn't Unity. I played Portal on Portal 2 because I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's possible it wasn't Unity that was blamed as something else, but at, the fact of the matter is, Cube is not the only eShop game that's been delayed perpetually and probably because of development tools. And the thing is, there's now Unity 5 as well. They announced to GC a new Unity, updated Unity engine, bear, um, bear compiler, bear graphics, all that jazz, and it is coming to Wii U at some point. It is confirmed for Wii U, so perhaps we're at a turning point. But, you know, things like games being delayed forever, things like copyright issues that really shouldn't have happened in the first place, or just weird games like Meme Run becoming so popular and popping up in the Wara Wara Plaza, you know, the home screen of the Wii U, for weeks on end, even though the game, like, is quite frankly awful. Uh, those are some things Nintendo could probably address with the eShop still, I feel like. But overall, though, excluding those, I would say that um, Nintendo's approach to the eShop is actually kind of working. It seems like they're making progress. I mean, the sales numbers are there, albeit perhaps a little low. And Nintendo's support team is for sure there at full strength. So it, it seems like there's actually some momentum. It looks like Nintendo's actually turning a corner here, more than they ever have. And I'd say there's proof that Nintendo's doing something right if you look even beyond just what we talked about at GC. If you look at like their full list, if you look like at the whole indie world, because uh, you, know, you see like existing titles like Woe Dave, which is on the 3DS now, getting a free deluxe upgrade on 3DS. They're bringing over a deluxe version. And are bringing it to Wii U for the first time. You see, um, you see, Renegade Kid is now doing Dimension the Ward as a 3DS remake, kind of like they did with Moon. You see, Way Forward confirming that Shantae Risky Revenge Director's Cut, previously exclusive to Steam, is now coming to Wii U as well. And simultaneously, I should mention, uh, Way Forward just turned 25 and has a crazy sale on the eShop right now. Games up to 75% off. So if you like Way Forward products, anyone out there, you have to I think third week of March to go buy stuff as cheap as 75% off. That includes a uh, the Mighty Games, the Shantae Games. It's it's a good deal. So go look that up. But my point is they're now bringing over even more. You see, um, you know, separately in Japan, there's just an Azure Striker Gunvolt sequel announced, although we don't know anything about it. And worldwide, they just push, pushed out an update to the first game that includes new modes and new 3DS support. They, uh, what else? You also see the developer of uh, Scram Kitty and his buddy on Rails, a Wii U exclusive, confirming, yes, he's making another Wii U game. You see uh, Shovel Knight getting a DLC expansion. Basically, you see all this momentum on the eShop that, beyond what we talked about, like I just found like 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 six announcements, and they're all just, it's just steamrolling. It it's all, just like, it all sounds steam. really, really good, but then I guess like, when you say the numbers, it's like, huh. But that's, that's my point, is that I think yeah. the numbers, I think we're at the point where the momentum's there, and Nintendo's putting the effort in, and they're, you know, they're placing games like Runbow or Sportball more recently, which is an actual game that's out, yeah. next to Smash Bros., and it's helping sales. There and Damon, uh, Damon Baker, my my good friend Damon Baker, was saying um, 
in that interview with Engadget that they have found that if you launch your indie game close to a Nintendo first party major release, it boosts sales even more. So if they position this right and if they do this right, we're probably going to see even more of this momentum that's already starting with all the games I just rattled off. So there's definitely strides being made, I think. I think, we're at, I think the eShop's in a good place. The best place? No. A good place? Yes. And it's using the gamepad in some cool ways that no one else seems to want to do. Nintendo included. So that's my spiel. That's my spiel about the indie market. I think I think it's it's an ever-evolving thing, but it's moving in the right direction for sure. And scene. <laughs> um, I should say, actually. I should <laughs> now, say, now we could just get a, a browsable eShop app. Yeah. Well, in Japan, they just launched an eShop website. I think it's just the Japanese version of the Nintendo.com online ordering that we currently have, you know, where you hit, like, digital download and you yeah. do it on the site. But theirs is actually like eShop.Nintendo. So I'm wondering if we're going to have a full-fledged eShop that's browsable coming soon. If nothing else, it'll probably show up in that Nintendo app that they're building for smartphones. But I should say, I forgot to mention this, when I said Shovel Knight's game DLC, uh, it's impressive. It's totally free, and what it's going to be is you control Plague Knight, one of the Order of No Quarter, the bad guy league, so to speak. And it's remakes and remixes. It's like remixes of all the game assets. There's new levels, new bosses. And instead of a shovel, you have explosives. So you can do a bomb jump. You can throw explosives. You can use uh, alchemy for the first time. At least I think it's for the first time. I don't remember shovel might having full, like alchemy can projectile. I might be wrong. It's been a while. But uh, point is, it's all free and it's a pretty big update and it's coming sometime before summer in second quarter, so April or June. So you know, even things like that. Like granted, I think it was a Kickstarter stretch goal that made this possible, but I don't know if they ever had to necessarily bring it to every platform the game's on. And yet here we are getting it for Wii U and 3DS. So something's clearly going around the eShop, and it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, switching gears. Switching gears, now that I've done my little rant. I feel like I always have a talking point rant in these shows. But switching gears from indie to Nintendo's own first-party stuff, the company did have some news of its own to share these past couple weeks. First up at GDC, they actually announced what might be the closest thing we were ever going to get to a Nintendo indie game, which is called Box Boy. So what is Box Boy? Technically, Box Boy, I should say, isn't actually from Nintendo. It's from HAL Laboratory, the, their second party of Nintendo. They're the people that create Kirby. They're a developer behind many a Smash Bros. game. They're quite, they've made Mario parties. They've made a lot of stuff that Nintendo's done. But for this, they are going full-on indie. It looks like an indie darling. It kind of has that minimalistic graphics. It's black and white. Very stark graphics. Um, it's a side scroller, a 3D puzzle platform, 3DS puzzle platformer. Oh. Sounds kind of like, uh oh, here we go. It's becoming too generic. But what they're doing is it's almost more like uh, Pushmo or something, like it's that type of puzzle game. So you control a little square character named QB, spelled Q B B Y. Okay. He, if you thought Kirby, first of all, his name sounds like Kirby. But if you thought Kirby was overly simplistic, sounds like the design, way a, like a five-year-old would pronounce Kirby. Yeah, it's QB. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, if you thought Kirby was a simplistic design, you have not seen QB, because QB is literally a square with two lines for eyes and little sticks for legs, and whenever you have him dangling off a block or something, his little legs swing back and forth, and it's all adorable. But that's the whole character. He has nothing else. It's just a square with two lines inside the square, two lines outside of the square, and boom, you have a new character. <laughs> but, uh, so as QB... Oh, character design was hard. What? That must have been a nightmare to design. Oh, yeah. Imagine how many different cube shapes... Imagine how many different eye designs they had to go through. Should we make them dots? Should we make them lines? Should we make them squares? Should there be squares inside squares? Squareception? Funny questions. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the main idea is you're trying to reach an end goal at the end of each stage, and you do it by solving puzzles because QB um, actually can make blocks pop out of himself. So he's a block. He can basically have a block spawn out of him, and each stage requires you to have a different number of blocks maximum 
and you use them to form different like almost Tetris block shapes to complete puzzles. So the goal is you have to get to the end, there's spikes, there's obstacles, there's things you have, you know, switches you have to hit and you have to use the blocks that pop out of QB to do it. So for example, it's you know could start relatively simple, like you make a two block bridge with QB and then you can cross a gap or cross a spike. Or you use blocks to make like a ladder and you could or like a staircase you could climb up. But where it gets interesting is later in the game you have to use these blocks in different shapes, like an L or whatever, and you might have to do three things at once, like hit a switch, block a laser, bridge a gap, all with the same blocks, all at QB. And the thing is, QB's always on the blocks, because they come out of him, so you can't like have a block somewhere else on the stage and walk to it. It's where you're standing. So that's kind of where the puzzles come in, and that's where it gets... That's where it kind of reminds me of Pushmo, and that you're like using blocks to basically make your way to an end goal. That's really the only connection, but... <laughs> But, uh, so it's, it has about 20 different worlds. I don't know how many levels per world, but it sounds like a decent number based on previews. Um, and it, it looks kind of cool. I'm actually kind of into it. it it's very minimalist. So it's not well, that crazy of a concept. They've done block puzzles So 3D could look cool on it, it sounds, because of how minimalistic it is, but obviously it doesn't sound like a lot of things will be popping here. Yeah, because everything's just kind of outlines or solid black colors yeah. and just a solid white background. But I imagine the outlines are in the foreground and the background's just white way, way back in the background. But, but yeah, it, look, it looks cool. It's certainly not like the craziest platformer. It's probably not necessarily going to be the most intense platformer. It's probably going to be more of a relaxing one. But And you could argue that if it wasn't how Laboratory's making it, you may say it looks kind of lazy. But, it, you know, those things like the little legs swinging, there's some personality and charm to it that make that elevate it beyond just like a cheap-looking indie game. So assuming the game plays up to snuff, I'm, I'm pretty excited for it, actually. It should be out, I think, sometime this spring. But, I mean, you're a big Pushmo fan. Pushmo and... What were the other ones called? Pushmo 2? No, it has a different name. It's like Crushmo, not Crushmo. Crashmo. Crashmo, that's close. But like, you, you like these sort of like puzzle platform hybrids, or does this seem like something you would pick up? Uh, it does. Board? It actually does. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I, do, I, do like I was hoping you'd elaborate, but I guess there's nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it looks like a game I would get, so yeah. I will most likely get it. <laughs> and, and how will you choose to get it? Will you, will you go to the eShop and hit download and sit? And watch it download live, or we hit download later and come back to it when it's finished. Uh, I don't These know. Are the questions it, it, listeners want to hear. It, it depends on my mood. And it depends on how busy you are, I assume. Yeah, like I like I watched <laughs> Epic Rand's conversation. Like I watched the whole download of um, Pokemon Shuffle because you're just so excited to get that free to play freemium gaming on. But I didn't watch the download for um, Shantae to this future because the, the because the uh, hype to finally play it was too much and you couldn't handle it. So you had to step away. And then there was. Um, I could justify any of your purchasing. <laughs> and then for Mighty Switch Force 2, I saw half of it. And then you got bored and went and played Mighty Switch Force 1 on a different 3DS of this Focus version. Not knowing it all makes sense. Wow. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty excited for Box Boy. It's coming out this spring. No idea what the pricing is, but hopefully, I imagine it'll be like 8 or 9. Probably comparable to Pushmo. Maybe cheaper because it's simpler. Maybe like 5 or 6. Yeah. But it's kind of cool to see uh, how laboratories branch out from all the established games they constantly have to make. And do something a little more crazy. It's like when Game Freak did uh, Harmonite. Oh, yeah. It's kind of that same idea. I hope Nintendo lets more developers do that more often, more of their second parties. Like I'd love mm -hmm. to see One Up Studio, who was previously Brownie Brown and did like Magic Magical Vacation and help with Sword of Mana and all those games. It'd be cool to see them do an indie game, like a little stripped down RPG or something. Maybe one day. But uh, on the other end of the spectrum from Box Boy is as mainstream as you can get with Mario Party 10. And we're in its release month now, which means Nintendo's starting to seed out copies to review outlets and various media. And one of the people that got a hold of it was Nintendo Force Magazine. And they put together a preview that actually really flushes out what actually is in the game. Because we don't know very much. We know there's a couple different modes. We know it uses Amiibo. We know there's Asymmetric in, in a Bowser mode. And that's all we know. 
until now. So it turns out there are three modes. That's it. Just three modes. There's Mario Party, Bowser Party, and Amiibo Party. They're the biggest theme here. They like to party. Uh, so Mario Party is probably the closest to what you would expect the game to have. It's Mario Party 9 on, in HD and on steroids. So everyone's still in a car. It's still kind of like a powwow where you go along together in one, on one track. It's very linear still. But they made two changes. One, mini games are randomized again, which is actually kind of a big deal, I'd argue. And two, the captain spaces, which is what gave it a little. Like, what do you mean? They were always randomized. You used to, no, there was a way you could pick mini games. According, well, at least that's what Nintendo Force. Said. Well, I mean, before, um, unless you mean like at the end of the fourth turn, you have a mini game. Yeah, and you got to pick it. it well, was, there were choices. They gave you five random choices. They went, "I want that one." Now you, it's a roulette wheel again. Oh, that's what I thought. We, oh, hmm. that's what's different. Okay. Yeah. So that's one, and the other is the captain spaces are gone. Which I feel like kind of gave it a little extra flair, even though you're stuck in the same car, because it mixed things up. But nope, you can't do that anymore. So um, so you still have the car, and you're still going around, and you're just missing those things. Everything else is pretty much what you expect it to be, although weirdly, it only has five different game boards. Not seven, like Mario Party 9, only five. Hmm. So that's kind of stepped down. Then you have Maybe Bowser. more elaborate? Doesn't seem, they didn't really touch well, on it, I mean, but it doesn't seem necessarily it, to be. Are they counting the Bowser Party mode ones? Well, that's about that's the thing. Bowser Party uses three of those same five boards, and that's it. it doesn't even use all five. Oh wow! Well. So here's what Bowser Party does. Things do get a little more interesting with Bowser Party to its credit. So this was, if you recall, the original hook of Mario Party Ten when they announced eighty three. They're like Bowser mode, gotta be crazy. It's crazy for all ten of its mini games. Yes, there's only ten. That's a real bummer. Yeah. So, um, ba- which se- that seems shockingly low because that was the original gameplay hook of this entire. Yeah, thing. you're gonna get tired of them, and a lot of them. Well, to are... be clear, there's a bunch of normal mini games. In no, Mario yeah, Party, yeah, but there's only ten Bowser. No, I know, but that's yeah. like the only reason I wanted it. Yeah. But, and, and then I worry, and we, I feel like I've already seen all ten. Yeah. Well, here, well, for and those half yeah. of them are pretty rudimentary. They're, just... Yeah, they're all four on one. It's all four people at the Wiimote and Bowser screwing things up with the gamepad, essentially. Um, yeah. And yeah, they're kind of they're I mean, stripped I'm, down Nintendo Land. I mean, I mean like some look fun, others look like I'm never gonna play this one. Like yeah, um, with intention, but <laughs> with intention. But the the interesting thing is the bat, the like tug of war between the four players on the TV and the one with the gamepad, the asymmetric gameplay, actually spills over to the board game itself too, which is maybe the one redeeming factor of all this. In that, like as you're going through the board, Bowser, well, each character has their own health bar, so the way you win is if Bowser can knock out all their health, everyone's health. To knock out the health, you beat them at mid-game, heart goes down. You run out of hearts, that's it. Your character's gone, all the characters are gone. Um, and that's how Bowser wins. If you're playing, you just need one of you to make it to the end, and then your whole team wins. And to make things a little more interesting on the game board, Bowser can uh, affect the board pretty directly. He can lay traps that then, I assume, could hurt, take health away or cause you to play another main game or any number of things. But at the same time, the players on the TV can also earn or steal extra dice rolls from Bowser, which means they can actually get through the board faster. So it's kind of this back and forth, like tug of war almost between who's going to outsmart who or get who through luck and win. But at the end of the day, it's still 10 main games on three boards, which is kind of lame. Yeah. Perhaps most interesting of the bunch is the final and newest mode, Amiibo mode, which weirdly won't even show up on your menu as an option until you scan an Amiibo. The so first... if you don't buy an Amiibo, you have no idea that's there, ever. It doesn't tell you it's an option. No, it's silhouetted, isn't it? Or oh, is that, or... No, apparently... Cause, cause is from, it? Well, from what I've seen of gameplay demos, um, you just see an outline that says Amiibo mode, but it says you need a you need Amiibo oh, to play it. Oh, maybe that's which it. Which would be like the first time Nintendo ever straight out... I think it's like... It's the first time they've withheld something. Yeah, like yeah. keeping content 
hostage until you buy Amiibo. It really is their real, their physical DLC. Yeah. It's like having day one DLC. I mean, before you could be like, it's oh, day okay. one DLC. Yeah. It's locked content. Yeah, basically, because I mean, you're pretty much missing out on some of the game. Yeah, but the thing is, and this mode actually does seem like, well, one, it's the most traditional Mario Party mode there is to date. So, um, you roll a dice, you scan your amiibo, and that's your game piece. And you roll dice, you collect coins, and as you move around the board, independently, not in a single car, you play mini games after each turn that are randomly chosen, you try and get as many stars to win, and all the boards are based on the different characters. So, if you scan in Luigi and Peach, you have a Luigi board and a Peach board. But what's interesting, in a weird way that probably doesn't affect anything directly, is the boards are split into quadrants, like four different pieces, and you can mix and match the four quadrants and make a custom board. So if you have all the amiibo, you can have a crazy custom board that presumably will have different paths than if you just have a Luigi board. Well, it sounds like they're all still squares, except... They're all still squares. You can just kind of manipulate. So it's kind of like just... It's a nice customization touch. It doesn't add much. The real wrinkle in all this is your amiibo themselves have tokens, which are stuck to the bottom of the figurine in the game and basically give you extra powers. So before before the game, you pick your token for your amiibo, and then it's saved to the amiibo. And, um... Some of them are kind of interesting. They're all, like, one-time used, and once they're used, they're gone for that game. But there's, like, a P-Switch that will uh, veto any randomly chosen minigame if you don't want to play it, which is actually kind of cool. There's a token that lets you get five dice rolls in one turn, which sounds extremely overpowered, but whatever. You can do laps. Like, yeah, there is... Yeah, you can literally do laps because it's such a small board. So there's different stuff you can do with the tokens, which is kind of cool, and it adds a little extra to it, but at the end of the day, it's basically standard Mario Party without the crazy board. Yeah, I mean, something interesting to note also is that if anyone is using the Bowser Amiibo, they're all Bowser minigames. Oh, that is kind of interesting. Yeah. Also kind of annoying if there's only ten. I really hope Nintendo Force <laughs> is wrong about that. I hope only they, like, only unlock ten or something, because ten, with a game where the whole selling point at one point was this... It's on the cover, it's like it's Bowser vs. Thing. Yeah, oh, one other weird thing about Amiibo that I just remembered is Nintendo's really trying to bridge the idea of, like, the Amiibo are the physical, and it's a digital board game, but it's a physical physical experience. So, much like when you play a real board game, you have to pick up your Amiibo every time it's your turn. Okay. You have to rescan it every time to trigger a dice roll. Which, if you're playing with a family, and you have a gamepad in the middle of the table, and you have the TV playing the game, it is kind of cool. It'd be like, my turn, and plop your amigo, amiibo down. I almost said amigo. And plop your friend down, just pick him up, and put him <laughs> on the gamepad. But, uh, but that would be so annoying if you don't have that like ideal like Nintendo commercial family gathered around the table set up. Like, if we were playing it, I'd just be like, can I stop putting my amiibo down? Can I just hit A, please? Yeah, but it's super gimmicky. But it's going to be whoever's next to the game party, so like, you, you, you scan them all. Yeah, but but if you're playing like a whole family, it's you and your kids or whatever, it actually is kind of a cool touch. Like It's a very family-focused idea, but it's kind of neat. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just me, but Mario Party 10 is really looking underwhelming now. Yeah. I mean, you were playing to buy it, but now you're not, right? Uh, it, it's looking less likely every time. Yeah, I mean, from what I've read, there's not even a true solo mode like, this like time I'm, like, it, It's turning into one of those games that I might check out, that I might grab later on. Yeah. But not on launch. Yeah, it's just weird because, like, all the modes are interesting. They just don't feel fleshed out enough. Like, Bowser mode could be really cool if it's more intense minigames. Amiibo mode sounds cool, except all the boards look the same. Except with different theming. Like, Mario Party mode, well, that one just sounds... I don't like the linear everyone-in-one-car thing, as I've said before. So that one's out the window anyway to me. But, like, it just feels like there's no solo mode. You can obviously do solo single-player against computers, but it's not like older Mario Parties where it's, like, a weird story mode of sorts. Yeah. Like, it's just very stripped down. It feels like, it almost feels like they rushed the game out, except they didn't. It's been 10 months since they announced the thing. I guess they just really want, and it's clear that they're really pushing it as, like, the next, the next, um, Citizen Amiibo. Video games? Yes, the next Citizen Kane video games. No, I guess it's really clear that they're really just using this as a new Amiibo marketing tool. 
now. Yeah. Like, have you seen the TV commercial for it? They have two, but one of them is strictly Amiibo. It's like, scan them in and use them with your Amiibo. And then the other one's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we, we have a game in here, too, somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's actually worth mentioning that um, the Amiibo push is really the start of, like, a whole other wave of Amiibo stuff from Nintendo. I mean, obviously, we have individual Smash Bros. waves, but we're, we're seeing the next big round two of Amiibos, so to speak, because uh, they have confirmed that the Super Mario Brothers series will be, in fact, getting the Gold Mario. That's just the beginning of the next big push. So the Gold Mario is going to be Walmart exclusive. Of all places. Yeah. And uh, it is the one that was leaked. It's exactly what was leaked. It launches alongside Mario Party 10 on March 20th and the Super Mario Brothers series. And naturally, as soon as it was announced, um, online pre-orders sold out pretty much instantly. They then went up and down a few more times. I think they sold out like four separate times in 48 hours. And of course, every single time... Now see, I have this weird thing where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get it because it's there. And I need I need at least one special edition Amiibo, I say now, before I buy all of them. And uh, so I was trying to get it, and every single time I was within five minutes missing it. Like, I'd be like in a meeting, and I'd come out and be like, oh, five minutes ago, no. Or like I'd be in the elevator, and I'd be like, oh, it's available, and the doors would be closing on the elevator. I'm like, no, and then when I get to buy the elevator, it's sold out again. Like, it's, these are real yeah, things I, that I, I got the notification right when it said it's on sale, and yeah. I don't know, like, I was like, like ah, should I get it? And then um, I still went on there, but in the time it took for the page to load, it was already sold out. I think that was yeah. maybe two minutes after. And what's super announced. annoying is the pre-order page kept having a pre-order button, because I'm tight. <laughs> it kept having a pre-order Gazenta again. All right, I'm done. It, it pre-ordered a. Uh, it had the pre-order button there, and you could click it, and then oh, you yeah. go to cart and be like, "Not available." And I'm like, "Okay, save for later." And then it'd be like in a little wish list, and then I'd be like, "What happens if I go save for later, back to buy now?" So I hit like purchase, and then it'd be like in my cart, and I'd hit next, and it'd be like error. It's like, well, don't tease me like that. Just <laughs> tell me you don't have it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's interesting though is two things. One. Walmart actually started canceling multiple orders from the same people, which is a first. So that's good news. And two, even better news, is in an unusual twist in all this, Nintendo actually put out a kind of vague message on social media saying that uh, the fir- the final sell... Or- Guys, this is just a tiny fraction yes, of our... Yes, that's exactly what they said. They basically said pre-orders... I they had two things. On Twitter, like tiny fraction. On Facebook, they said... Or no, maybe I got backwards. But one of them, they're like, this is just a small part of the Gold Mario story. There will be more. It's like, okay, a couple things to note. One, this is the first time Nintendo has ever consumer-facing, made a consumer-facing comment about Amiibo shortages. Yes, I would have said to investors there are Amiibo shortages. He said that during the Q&A from the last investor meeting. But they've never publicly, to the public, gone, don't worry about it, there's more. We got this. And now here they are saying it, which makes me think there's going to be a lot more. This thing probably isn't going to be rare if they're saying that. They never said that when they were actually hard to get. So there's that. I mean, they don't even have the word, like, limited or... Yep. Like they just say, well, they do. It's just Mario Gold Edition. It's just Mario Edition. I mean, Gold Edition. Well, on the on the uh, label for it, but on the little sticker that says Gold it's, on it's the package, gold it says Limited. Pretty oh, you're right. It says Gold Edition Amiibo. Yeah, it doesn't say Limited right, anywhere. It doesn't. I bet you this is going to be more common. It's than, not like, supposed to be Limited. This is probably <laughs> going to end up being more common than, say, I mean, the Toad Amiibo, which I mean, still you can't pre-order. I mean, it's just supposed to be special. Yeah. Which yeah, is cool. I mean, like, none of the Amiibo should be Limited, but they essentially are. And what I'm hoping is if Nintendo's starting to say these things, maybe we're finally reaching the end of the Amiibo woes. Maybe they're finally learning to supply these things. Maybe that's why they've been waiting so long on getting Wave 4 up for a pre-order. Yeah, cause, I mean, and I mean, we're seeing more evidence that things are moving in that direction. Because like, further back in the ideas, Nintendo confirmed on social media also for the first time, Marth is coming back officially in stores in late April. 
they did previously say they were reintroducing later this year. Now we have a time frame that's actually quite soon. And just before that announcement... I wonder if they mean they'll also supply a lot of Ikes and Cenas. Probably. Because, yeah. Well Mars, well, Mars was the number one seller in the U.S. in terms of sell-through rates. So Ike yeah. and Lucina... Well, they're not even out yet, but... No, I know. I know they're yeah. not out, but because of the... They'll probably be a little but more... Because of the Steam World compatibility that you think they you want mean, to be uh, sure. Codename Steam. Codename Steam. Yeah. yeah. They, they, we get Steam. those title confused all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm assuming they would... I mean... No, you're do, probably I mean, right. do, do you think Mars would have gotten this push if Conan Steam didn't support any Amiibo? No. Honestly, I think they would have no motivation to do it. Because oh. for them, putting out Mars again means they could change the packaging on the new version with a thing on the back saying use them in codename Steam. Yeah. Which they're going to do. This is a cross-marketing opportunity for them. Uh, they don't care that we don't have Mars. It's going to be a collector thing again because they're yeah. going to want the new packaging. They, quite frankly... My opinion of this situation, Nintendo is not doing this out of the good of their heart. They're doing it because they can promote a new IP and make a new franchise. It's that simple. They can bring out Mars, who's extremely popular, and go, Hey, did you know about Codename Steam? Check this out. Maybe even have a QR code to get the demo right on the box. Yeah. Like, they're, they're going to push Codename so hard with, with this. But, but the, thing that's, the thing that's interesting to me is Mars has just seemed to be just the beginning. Right before they announced Marth, there were reports that GameStop's internal system was starting to show skews for not just Marth, but also Wii Fit Trainer and Villager for the first time since they were discontinued. Then Marth gets announced. Are those other two next? Or maybe, maybe they are doing it out of goodness of their heart. Maybe there will be a second wave. And on top of that, Nintendo Customer Service has told at least one person, supposedly, that uh, many waves are yet to come of Amiibo new and old. So there's that as well. And then on top of that, there's anecdotal stories that Captain Falcon and Little Mac Amiibos are starting to pop up in Best Buys again soon. Yeah, there, there have been pictures. So it's it's happening. And oh, and on top of all that, <laughs> just to keep building here, Mega Man and Sonic, two that one that Mega Man that people thought would be hard to get and one Sonic that I guess you expect to be common, are both popping up everywhere and are actually quite common. So I think we're at the point between all anecdotal evidence and unconfirmed reports and Nintendo's maneuvers I think we're actually reaching the point where we might finally be having bountiful amiibo supplies now what sucks to me at least is every amiibo I own seems to be the ones that are getting replenished I want one that's hard to get I just want one rare one please Nintendo but, just, just but, one but, but all have, the ones I bought are the ones that are but to have a rare one people would have to suffer I mean that's kind of I'm being selfish I know it's just to be kind of cool if I had one that's like, yeah, I have this super hard to find one, and now all of them are becoming common. Like, Captain Falcon, why is he becoming common? I don't know, but I have him, and I thought I was cool, and I'm not cool anymore. So so it's a very nitpicky, kind of jokey thing, but still, I, I wish I was cool. Uh, I got a, all of them. Yeah, I know you do. And if I, uh, See, some of mine are still in boxes. The one nice thing is, if these become common, I'm just going to be like, yes, I can open it finally. And put it on my shelf, because there's like, as I mentioned last episode, they're scattered around my house in boxes right now. But in one final bit of Amiibo news... It looks like Pikachu open? What? Yeah, Pikachu. Pikachu's common. Wasn't he? Oh, I thought you just weren't opening all of them. No, I have like half of them open. Oh. Pikachu's open. Mario's open. Fox is open. Samus is open. And then I have Lil Mac, Toon Link, Captain Falcon, Wii Fit Trainer, and one other? Well, you have Wii Fit Trainer... I know, but that might be replenished based on that report about oh. GameStop. And that's like, no. <laughs> I mean, no, it's great. Anyone that wants them, it's really cool. It's really nice that Nintendo gives them the opportunity. I'm so backpedaling so hard now. But <laughs> personally, I'm being selfish and saying I want one that's rare. And I don't have it anymore. But in one final bit of Amiibo news, um, it looks like we're actually getting our first taste of what's coming in Wave 4 and beyond. So a website in South Africa for, retailer, for South African retailer Raru 
uh, very briefly and presumably accidentally listed two new Smash Bros. Amiibo that have yet to be announced, Greninja and Jigglypuff. Interestingly, they also listed three Amiibo for Splatoon. Plot twist. So what they showed on their site uh, is uh, Splatoon Boy, Splatoon Girl, and Splatoon plus Amiibo Squid. Those are what they were called. Now it's important to note, you should take this with a grain of salt, retail listings have been wrong, but to come up with these so randomly, far-fetched to me. I think more likely than not, this is real, and it makes total sense. First of all, the Splatoon plus Amiibo Squid implies you're going to do a Mario Party 10-style Splatoon bundle. So brace for that, internet. Get ready to pre-order that thing. If you want Splatoon and you want it with the Amiibo, it's probably going to be that fun dance again. I'm definitely going to try to do that. Yeah, I'm going to do that for sure. But um, but it kind of well, makes... Why don't they just help each other out and just pre-order two? Mm-hmm. And then once we know that mm-hmm. the other one got it. They might limit the number you can order. We'll worry about when it's officially announced. But it does make total sense for this to be true. I mean, Splatoon is a game that's huge on character customization for its on, you know for online multiplayer or local multiplayer. You know, you have weapon loadouts, clothing choices, accessory choices, skin tone or squid inkling tone, I don't know what's called, uh, squidling. But, yeah, it's it's a game that's really about customization, and what better way to transport your custom character to your friend's house for local multiplayer than by scanning it into an amiibo and taking the amiibo over. So you have a boy amiibo if your character's a guy, a girl amiibo if your character's a girl, or if you don't want to bother buying any, you can buy the bundle, it comes with the amiibo of just a generic squid, and that can be your way of transporting your character back and forth. It's like how the Wiimote was supposed to, you know, let you take custom characters to friends for Wii games, but now in amiibo form. And the advantage of doing it as an amiibo is extra shelf space for a brand new IP, much like they're going to do with Mars and Code Names Steam. I think Nintendo's going to push this hard. So it'll be like, hey, check out this new franchise, uh, uh, Splatoon. And if you're going to look at amiibo, if you're a kid browsing your toy store, it's like, oh, look at this cool, weird squid thing next to Mario. What is this? Splatoon, looking That's at the box. Cool. Oh, I want to get this game now. Good picture, like, going over to people's house, or, like, little tournament, and then everyone has to take their load out on their yeah. amiibo. Like, it makes, like, a lot of people are like, oh, Nintendo's making Amiibo for new intellectual properties? That's interesting. And it's like, no, it makes 100% sense, especially for a game about customization. And a game where you obviously want to be able to take your character with its stats to your friend's house, like you said. So it, it, it makes sense. I wonder sense. if they're going to have, like, um, like, um, Inkling Boy, um, like, Green, Inkling Boy, yeah, Orange, Yeah, I don't Inkling, know, because, like... I mean, the characters are so customizable, they might, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they start with just the two genders. You could have a boy inkling or a girl inkling or the generic right, but, squid. And but, then but depending it, on what, how they sell, they could flesh them out into more color options. I wonder what their generic color, though, because sometimes it feels like it's orange and other times it feels yeah, like it's Yeah, I don't green. know. It, it, we'll have to wait yeah. for them to officially announce it, I feel like. But there's still, there's still so much we need to know about Splatoon as a whole. Actually, I'm pretty sure the boy will be one color and the girl will be a different color. Yeah, And the squid likely. will probably be a third color. Most likely. The squid's just going to be the white squid on the box, probably. Yep. But, um... There's no white color, though. Yeah, there is. The squid in the Splatoon, the, the generic squid. No, like, but if they're making an amiibo of it, there is no, like, there are no white characters. No, it won't be... No, no, no. No, not for the Splatoon character. Not for boy-girl, for the squid. One of the amiibo is literally called squid, so I think it's the squid form. No, yeah, Which but... is white in the artwork. Remember the pins they gave out at no, E3? Yeah, but... Those were white. Mm. A squid is white in general. It's like, not, not like a, you know, all colors of the rainbow thing where it's like diversity i mean literally squids are white <laughs> so the one that they used to that they were using to promote the game was white so i imagine it'd be the same mm, i could be I, wrong i'm pretty sure it's not it go to the tumblr for uh, splatoon it's a white squid no 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 i'm not i'm not oh, i'm, oh, not, yeah. I'm not saying that the logo is yeah. white it's just that you don't think the one that comes the, the, in the, the box will be white they said if they're making an amiibo or something you want to make like they're probably going to pick a, one of the squids that comes out in game and none of the characters are white because they only they only match the color sure. of the ink 
Sure, sure. Well, we'll find out. I mean, I think we'll I think you might be onto something. But yeah, I think um, I think we're due for an announcement pretty soon about this. I mean, here's the thing: Nintendo Direct. We're probably gonna have one in early April, if I had to guess. Maybe even sooner, but definitely in April. So um, I guarantee that's when they'll talk about this in more detail. And I'm 99.9% sure that these Splatoon amiibos are real, and it's a brilliant idea. And I would not be surprised if every every Nintendo game going forward, new franchise or not, has some sort of amiibo tie-in, depending on how these perform. So, so that's my spiel on that. And that's actually pretty much it for news, but we have a new feature we're doing for the first time. It kind of just fell into our lap, but we're going to give it a shot. So we're doing a mailbag. One of our listeners, Chris, uh, sent us an email asking for our opinions on the next 3D Zelda game for 3DS. And that made me realize hey, you guys might actually want to hear what we have to say about stuff. You listen to what we say, but it's what we choose to say. So we want to know what you want to hear. So if you go to ramtown.com and hit our contact page, you can send us an email through the form there with any question you may have, or you can reach us directly at contact at ramtown.com. And whichever way you choose to do it, uh, we will take all those questions and we will answer them on the podcast. We're not going to do it as a regular feature. We're not going to say every single episode we have a mailbag. But as questions come in, we will answer them in the following episode. So, I guess to kick things off, Chris did ask us this question, which we'll dive into. So, here's the question. Hey, guys. We've seen three Zelda games for the 3DS thus far, two being remakes and one being a 3D Zelda. We've seen that the 3DS can do a 3D Zelda experience perfectly well. What do you think Nintendo could do with an original 3D one on the 3DS opposed to another 2D one? So, I think what he's saying is, if Nintendo were to make an Ocarina or a Majora's Mask, but entirely new, what would they do versus, say, Linked Between Worlds, the sequel? Which is an interesting question. And I think... It's interesting because like, they've, they've already kind of experimented with, I feel like, every type of Zelda mm-hmm. on in 3D. Like, I mean, we had the Spirit Tracks and... But those are like top no, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, well, that's still kind of how A Link Between Worlds was, but it, it, I feel it played more like a 3D Zelda than... It did, in than, some ways. ...than A Link Between Worlds, for yeah. sure. But... I think what I'd like know. to see them do, personally, is... Um, expo- I mean, the one thing that Ocarina and Majora have in common on 3DS is yes they are full 3D Zelda games but they are not big open world Zelda games they're not you know the the, the Hyrule field in Ocarina is nowhere near the size of say Wind Waker's Ocean the yeah, Majora's Mask is contained pretty small in a small area relatively speaking and I think that actually suits the handheld extremely well because you need to be able to go places you only can play for 10 minutes here 20 minutes there in some cases so you need to be able to get around quickly so I think if they were to do an entirely new 3D Zelda. I don't know what the hook would be. I don't know if it would be, you know, you have the wolf transformations in Twilight. You have things like Skyward Sword where it's a lot more linear. They could do it whatever hook, but I think the key thing they're going to do, if they were to make a true 3D Zelda, is make it compact. Make the world compact. Because even Spirit Tracks, you took a train. It's a big world, but you took a train, so you're moving pretty quick. They need to do something that's either fast movement or very compact. And what I think would be kind of cool is if they did some sort of I mean, even a Link Between Worlds, even between Link Between Worlds, actually, it was pretty compact. You can go from one corner of the map to the other in like not long. So I think, I think the key thing for 3D Zelda, if Nintendo were to go that route, like I said, is to make it a very tight, tightly fit world. And then what they can do in there is a lot more interesting. Because I, I would like to see them use the gyro first-person shooting stuff in some more. They interesting have to ways. use the gyro. What? No, no, yeah, I agree. No, because yeah, no, no, I think no, no, yeah. they have to use the gyro, yeah, especially with the new 3ds. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, the new 3ds, the 3d doesn't break anymore. Like when I'm playing Majora and I do the 3d thing, it looks awesome. Like it doesn't break no matter how I move it. So I'd love to see if they did like instead of just being like, oh, here's a bow and arrow or the hook shot. I'd love to see them get a little more creative with that. I don't know what exactly that could entail, <laughs> but but I think it would be very cool if they made if they went into it with the mindset of 
what if we did a Zelda that has first-person elements? I kind of liked, um... I don't know, I mean, it'd be cool to see them use, like, the, the touchscreen a little more, too. More, yeah. More so than just inventory. Like, I don't remember, maybe it was Phantom Hourglass, but I like, there was one where you could, like, scribble on the map. Oh, yeah, or, yeah. Like, or, like, make notes and stuff like that. We could kind of do that in the uh, current 3DS ones. Well, not really notes, yeah. but the Bomber Notebook is kind of that same idea where it's, like, you're... No, oh, yeah, like, they're all, you're you, but... Having no, yeah, that's yeah. automated, but... Yeah, I think another thing, I think you're onto something, I think another thing that'd be crucial is, and they're kind of doing this with Zelda on Wii, where the map is a big component of the game. Yeah, and they're also just like, integrating that map more. And I guess it won't really work. Because, um, I mean, well, what, what I was going to suggest, um, I guess if it's going to be in the start of a regular like 3D Zelda, like I guess they won't be able to do what they did in Phantom Hourglass, where there were some bosses that used the two touchscreens in really creative ways. Like, yes. That was one that, I think one of my favorite, like still one of my favorite like boss ideas was that um, the boss, the bottom screen only sh showed you the boss's point of view. Because mm -hmm. the boss is like, it's, it was like invisible so you're like where is it so you kind of have to like look at it look at you and then like oh it's behind me I don't know I, that, was, that was just like really really cool yeah no I think I think they could that, that's the tricky, but, but, but that's like using the two screens to, yeah, yeah. But. the tricky thing is like I think the inventory should stay because that works so well oh, yeah. in yeah, that's you can't but, have both. but I wish there's a way you could I wish there's a way that's almost like I guess the it, map I guess doesn't need to be meet, you don't need an on-screen map if you're off, in, a, in a one room dungeon if you're in a boss fight, you don't necessarily need the 3D map. So if they could somehow do like an alternate view, or maybe even like, what if they had Navi or whatever your fairy equivalent is? What if you could go into Navi view on the bottom screen if you don't want to view the map, like it's a toggle? And that could be almost like a separate perspective. Kind of like how they're doing with Star Fox, where you have the in cockpit view and then you have like the third person view. You know, you have the behind link view. And then they could do all sorts of interesting puzzles if you have Navi doing a like top down view or something. That'd be interesting. And you have to like, I don't know, use a boomerang to go somewhere behind the boss that you can't really see, but you kind of aim it based on the bottom screen, or even draw it on the bottom screen. That gets into crazy multitasking where you have to manage the stylus and button simultaneously, which never works. That'd but cool in theory, to... there's all sorts of things they could do that could be really cool in that regard. That would be pretty cool if um, at some point they make a Zelda game where... Oh, yeah, I guess they kind of did with um, Spirit Track, where you kind of have to like manage two characters the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, they always like they did a little of that in Wind Waker, they did it in Spirit Tracks with this with the statue that Zelda was mm -hmm. but I don't know maybe like a smaller character that like will play like way differently from Link like a slot yeah and I mean Majora kind of touches on that a little with the masks where they feel very different but it's still yeah. Link at the end of the day and you're still just the one but yeah I think I think the I think the potential is there to do some really interesting stuff with the 3DS and it could really leverage the 3D I mean Majora's mask looks great in 3D because it has a lot of depth stuff already I mean they already going. have the engine I, I, I feel like they should just use that same engine. I mean, they don't have to use the same characters, obviously, they did with Majora's Mask. I mean, they can yeah. build new stuff. But I they, mean, the groundwork is there. They, like, we know it can run a Zelda game. Yeah, and the thing is, like, Majora's Mask was a one-year crash course in how do we make a game using Ocarina of Time's assets, basically. That's how Majora's Mask was made. It's like, alright, it's 1998, we need a game by 2000 that uses the same stuff that we just pump out. Go. And they got super creative as a result. So if they do what you're saying, and they're like, alright, we have a 3DS engine, we want a new Zelda by 2016 or 2017 go crazy guys you have assets from two games and even the link between worlds you can bring in some of those assets and just kind of flip them around let's see what you guys can create i think they can get really creative and create possibly another crazy out there totally different but totally fun zelda experience like majora's mask was compared to say ocarina so i think the the potential is certainly there it's and there's ways they can do it it's just hard to say which one they'll pick or which they'll prioritize but i do think a tightly knit world similar to how Link Between Worlds is is probably yeah. key. Or at least segmented so that it's yeah. not like all yeah. open. Yeah. Or it'd be kinda of cool if they finally like just embrace all people are like do steampunk. 
Like it would be a spinoff for sure. But if they did some sort of weird steampunky Zelda, that that could be interesting. I'd like to see um, and I don't know how they do it, but I'd like to see some sort of um, like as a bonus or just like a side option, like just do multiplayer, kind of like Four Swords, but actually in three D. Dude, like in no, 3D you're Zelda. you're onto something. What if they did? What if they just did Major take the Majora's Mask engine and made a Four Swords out of it? Yeah, just that. That would be the next stepping stone, really. I mean, let the console be the single player one. Let the mobile ones be the multiplayer one. You know what else? That fits in perfectly to what Iwata was saying recently. Iwata made a point. We talked about. We just figure it out. I think we just figured it out. <laughs> you could tell. Here's our thought process in real time, everyone. But Iwata was saying in their last financial briefing. Nintendo's re-emphasizing local, local multiplayer for 3DS games. Because remember I was talking about last episode how like, oh yeah, Street Pass was a way to get people to use their 3DSs in public. Now they're stepping it up and doing local multiplayer like uh, Monster Hunter, Yokoi Watch, Pokemon, etc. No, we just got Zelda DLC the other day. What? Monster Hunter. Oh, that's right. It just came out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no. The next step would be what if you took Majora's Mask and Four Swords and merged them? Take the engine... Put in, major put in four swords. It resolves the small world issue because those are pretty much individual individualized dungeons that don't have an overarching world. I mean, four swords adventures did, but even then it was pretty compact. Yeah. Um, it resolves, you know, some of the crazy ideas like having multiple characters, multiple perspectives because you can be playing locally and have to communicate with your teammate, much like uh, a four ball space adventure that we talked about earlier in this episode where you have yeah, to like, kind of coordinate. Like they could definitely go crazy with public yeah. front with the new with. The 3D Zelda like, yeah. perspective, because I mean, you're kind of limited with top down. There's, mm -hmm. there's only so many only press, so many the, press the button, yeah, puzzles you can do. And then that leaves playing. And then that first of all, that frees up the how you do multiple things with the touch screen at once. You don't all the coordination stuff is between people out loud. Then on top of that, you can do a lot of the gyro stuff because who cares necessarily if you don't have a full 360, you know, a full view of your back at all times. You have other teammates that can be watching your back for you. Yeah. Like this could bri this is the bridge I think I think Four Swords 3D would be the ideal 3D Zelda game that's coming next that's a great idea good good call now we'll see if it ever happens but I'm I wish this was real now like I really do. I just got really excited about because Four Swords I love Four Swords one yeah, of my most played Game Boy Advance games Four Swords Adventures are pretty cool too I never played that much of Adventures because I didn't have very many people play it with and Solo wasn't as good but um, me and my friend used to do Four Swords on Game Boy Advance I think oh. we'd be it like probably eight or nine times it's just really I think we're really almost fun. done. We definitely beat the final boss. We're just playing the, the DLC level. Right, right. With you and Elvis. That's right, that's right. Yeah. The, the, the oh, yeah, that's right. We played it, too. Yeah, yeah and, and then they did the anniversary edition. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think the more we talk about it, the more I want the next 3D Zelda to be Four Swords 3D. I think it could... Everything we've brought up just merges into it so nicely. So, Chris, I hope that uh, hope that answers your question. And to everyone else... Uh, great question, by the way. That's It's a very interesting But to be topic. clear, it's like 3D Zelda perspective, but... It's Four Swords in 3D. Yeah. yeah. Or Four Swords in... 3D world, not 3D graphics. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, So thanks for the question, uh, Chris. And again, if anyone wants to ask this question about anything, any hypothetical, any opinion on anything, you can do it through our contact form on the site. You can do it at contact at .com, or better yet, just leave a comment on this episode's blog post and we will, if we're, you know, depending on the, how deep of a question it is, we can either answer it for you right then and there in the blog post or we can dedicate a mailbag segment in the future to it. So yeah, please send us your questions. It's actually really fun to hypothesize what we could do and it's cool to hear what you guys want to talk about so thank you for that Chris and with that our final usual segment is what we're playing uh, but before we get to that I should probably mention what I wasn't playing for the majority of these two weeks I did get to play Kirby and the Rainbow Curse but in the middle of this I had a little trouble because uh, my Wii U broke so it's more like what I wasn't playing 
Long story short, I try and turn on my Wii U, or I'm wa I'm sitting there watching Gotham, and my t my Wii U's under a TV, and I notice that the little orange light Gotham. is Gotham on Fox. And I noticed the already, uh, Mondays at 8, 7 central. And I noticed the orange little light, it, the standby light, you know, it turns on for two minutes, checks the server, turns back off. It was stuck on. So like, oh, maybe it's downloading something. That's weird. Turn on the system. It boots normally. But the download icon had an X over it. And I'm like, what, what does this mean? So I clicked the download manager, and all my download history just says title cannot be found, title cannot be displayed, something like that. And when I scroll down to the bottom, there's one that says error, and it is in red. And I press it, and it just crashes the Wii U. And it gives me an error code that doesn't tell you anything. I go to Nintendo support sign, and just says, call us. Like, <laughs> well, that's not good. So I was like, you know what? Let me just follow the on-screen prompt, hold the power button for four seconds, hard shut down, reboot it, goes to the quick start menu as it should, hit go to the whole system, crashes again. And I go, well, this is a little problematic. Try it a third time. Unplug the system for 15 seconds. Plug it back in. Try it a third time. Goes to the, touch, the quick start menu, hit full menu, hit load a game, hit settings. No matter what I do, it just is stuck on the Wii U bootloader, like the, the logo. The gamepad's doing this little boop, 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 sound effect, and the TV's doing nothing. It's just frozen. And I'm like, well, clearly my Wii U just bricked itself. Call Nintendo, explain the situation. All my game data, by the way, is saved on the internal hard drive. So I call, and I'm like, here's what's going on. And they said, oh, it, it's because your, uh, the error is because your USB device is disconnected. I'm like, oh, I don't have a USB device. It's all internal. And they're like, are you sure you've never plugged one in? I'm like, I'm positive. He's like, can you confirm that? I'm like, yes, I just did. And he's like, okay, well, that's the error game, so we have to send it in. I don't exactly know what happened, but through the process of talking with him, I learned that, A, Nintendo does not partition its hardware OS, or its software, you know, the, the OS from the, soft, from the data on the hard drive, meaning if there's a problem, if something's corrupt with the operating system, which seems to be what happened, your data's screwed. And how do I know that? Because when I got it back, which, by the way, to Nintendo's credit, they flipped it in four days, which is really impressive. I got, I sent it and got it back within four days. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, we live near a repair center, so that might be why. There's one just outside of LA. But, um, yeah, so I got back, got a little checklist of, like, here's what repairs we did. Keep in mind, this is a checklist, so it's not, like, polite. There's no letters apologizing. It's just, like, data recovered? No. With an X to it. I'm like, great. So basically, I lost all my Wii U data. For something I don't know what happened, the hard drive just seems to have failed. Uh, it was telling them that the data was saved on something else, it seems, but it wasn't. So I suspect there was like an internal connection that didn't work. I hadn't used the Wii U in a little while at that point, so it wasn't like I did something that broke it. It was just doing its usual standby routine, and just didn't work, and then erased itself. And then Nintendo charged me $100 to fix it. And by fix it, I mean just send me a refurb system that uh, doesn't have any of my data. They have my Nintendo Network ID, so I can re-download stuff. But all my game data, all my multiplayer stuff, all my DLC, gone. So if you thought, last episode, when I lost the screw on my back of my 3DS, if you thought that was bad, well, I just upped the game. But no, it, it, <laughs> it's it, a it joke sucked. about you're not playing your Wii U much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, obviously I only lost about two hours of total playtime. No, um, <laughs> over three years, though, I did play it a lot. Like, I have no Smash Bros. stuff. I have no Mario Kart records. I have no Nintendo Land... Uh, unlocks I have all I have is what is what I posted to me first essentially so it's kind of a crap situation and I mean I understand my Wii U's out of warranty I understand that you know I have to pay to get repaired for that reason but to charge me half the cost of the system to then just send me a third or a third of the cost well yeah a third of the cost a little over a third of shipping a third of the cost of the system and then just send me basically a new system is a little weird it, I don't know it just it kind of and the weird thing is they didn't even like apologize like I know it's not exactly their fault like they don't have to be like oh we're so sorry 
But I feel like if I was in Nintendo's position, I would value every person they have buying a Wii U and using a Wii U, because there's so few of them, um, that I would, you know, maybe even just, instead of just having a checkbox that says no, maybe include a note that, like, you know, we attempted this, unfortunately we could not do that, but we are making it up to you with, I don't know, a $20 eShop credit. Or, like, we know it's not much, but here's a free download of... Mm. I don't know, uh, Nintendo Land. Well, I already have that. Here's a free download Here's code. a villager amiibo. Yeah, like, here's here's a Kirby amiibo, because it sucks that you're in this situation. Like, see what I did there? <laughs> uh, but, you know, something. Anything. Because it just struck me so weird. It's like, oh yeah, and that's just like, here, um, send us your system, pay us, and we'll erase your data for you. I mean, granted that data was probably long gone when I sent it to them. It was so corrupt at that point, I would imagine. But, it's not like I did anything to deserve it. Maybe. Now, to Nintendo's credit, it has been 20... I realize this year marks 20 years since I bought my first Nintendo hardware. Which is insane. I feel old. Uh, and this is the first time Nintendo hardware has ever failed me. So a track record of once in 20 years across something like 9 products, 10 products maybe, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. These things happen. I know it's a technical issue, but I just wish it didn't happen, I guess. So, um, I also to their credit... It's only funny when it happens to someone else. I know. And to their credit as well, um, they have excellent hold music. When I called Nintendo, it was the Zelda theme I waited for my initial call, which was fine. But then every time I was put on hold by the rep um, while he was, like, sorting out the details, they played wonderful Donkey Kong Country music. And I don't mean the mainstream stuff. I mean the obscure Donkey Kong Country music. Like, random levels you won't, like, you know, like, you don't really remember. It was... I was impressed. So I got some good hold music out of this. That's literally the only upside. Treat top funk? No, it was, like, it was like the more ambient stuff. Huh. Like the underwater and the cave and that sort of stuff. Huh. But it was, I was just like, wow, this is this is relaxing, which is good, because I was going to, like, smash the phone. Not really, I wasn't that mad. But it's just kind of like, and it's funny, because I even asked the guy on the phone, I'm like, okay, so that's resolved. Toy and like, can you send me a 3DS screw and I explain how I lost my screw? And he's just like, no, you have to go to a hardware store. I'm like, oh, all right. So, I was hoping maybe so me bringing up... So he did confirm up, that they do sell that. Yeah, 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 it's a standard screw. But I was hoping that maybe me bringing up, like, yeah, I mean, because you know I bought the Wii U on launch day. Oh, well, since you just lost your Wii U, then yeah, exactly. it's, it's the least we could do. It's a screw. Right, right. But And I know that, like, he knew I bought the Wii U on we launch day. you, so... So you get a screw. But he, like I was saying, I, he knew I bought the Wii U on launch day. I made that clear. And I think he went to talk to his manager to try and get me a discount or a freebie because I did that, because I had on launch day, but it didn't obviously work. Um, I probably could have hackled him down, but I didn't care enough, because it's like, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I would have liked the screw. I mean, I was hoping me going, oh, I also just got the new 3DS and lost the screw, but I got the new 3DS like five days ago, and then this broke, and I'm a long-time customer, and none of it worked. So, so that's my tail blow. That's why I didn't play. But when the Wii U was working, and by the Wii U, I mean yours, because I played it here because of the situation, I did play Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. So let's, let's, enough of the sad, sad Wii U story, let's talk about a game that actually is happy and upbeat and very cheerful and colorful and that's Kirby and the Rainbow Curse can you believe I got to actually, play on the TV so that was awesome what? Jason did it yeah yeah no I have thoughts on that trust me but can you believe it's actually been a decade since Canvas Curse came out on the DS I can It's if you stop and think about it yeah you can but like when I first was like I looked at because I was like Canvas Curse was like a while, a while ago and I googled the release date I'm like June 20, 2005 that's so long ago but yeah so this uh, Rainbow Curse um, is you know, this straight up the sequel to that. It's been 10 years since Nintendo first was like, here's how to make a real touchscreen game. Before iOS was a thing, before iPhones and Android was a thing, we had Nintendo doing touchscreen games, and Canvas Curse was probably the first, like, this is really the good way to make a touchscreen game ever made. And now 10 years later, Nintendo's bringing the idea back. So, to be clear... Bring it back. Yeah, bring it back. 
to be clear, Rainbow Curse is exactly what it seems like. It is a sequel, straight up. Uh, it follows the same gameplay mechanic as the original, so you're, you don't control Kirby directly, you're instead drawing these rainbow lines for him, and then he travels along them, and you can block obstacles with the rainbow lines, and uh, you sometimes have to tap him to speed him up, or tap him to launch into an enemy, or that sort of thing. Um, so that's all pretty much the same. The thing that's majorly different this time around is the game replaces the art styles art style of Canvas Curse. Do you remember Canvas Curse? Like each world has a different type of art, like pointillism or mosaic. I or do. That sort of thing. Yeah. So they replaced that with just one art style. <laughs> that was very cheerful. They replaced that with just one art style this time, and it's a gorgeous claymated look. And I'm kind of wishing it looks so that nice. Nintendo, well, that the Smash Brothers had a Rainbow Curse stage as opposed to oh, Wobbly World. No, no, not Wobbly World. World's fine. Um, great like, like I wish, I wish that, yeah, great offensive. Like I wish that was the Kirby stage they went with, right? Because that just looks really cool, and it's, I don't know. And it does look really cool. I mean, the thing is, Nintendo, that, yeah, that would that would be nice because Nintendo actually did nail the look I mean, so well. Because I mean, great offensive is fine, but I mean, let's be serious. Like, no one really plays on that stage, even when you have eight people, because it's so big. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It, but yeah, it's its own downfall. <laughs> yeah, it can't be for sure. But and and the thing is, this, this look does look really good. I'm sure it would look would have looked good in Smash. But it looks so good for this game because, like, it's not just the fact that it looks clay made; it's the fact that there's so much detail. Like, there's dimples in the clay. There's like um, fingerprints. Yeah, there's pre- if you press, there's some parts where you have to like wipe the clay away to reveal hidden stars. When you move the clay away, it actually presses in fingerprints, like you said, on the clay. There's uh, there's general attention to detail all over the place. I mean, there, I really appreciate little touches, like when Kirby's injured. He when he's on his last bar of health, he not only looks sad, but he has like a little bandage on his back or like. Uh, when he hits a wall, he com- the clay compresses, it flattens, and that kind of pop like slowly like comes back out. Sort of like you know if you press like a squishy ball and then it unsquishes. Random thought about detail. Yeah. Um. Mini tangent. Do you think Nintendo will allow you to change the skin tone of the hand in Mario Mario Maker? Nope, because it's a glove. It's a glove. It's a glove. No, it looked like a, it's a glove. It looked like a hand. Glove. Well, it's a glove in Mario Paint. I'm pretty sure. Oh, because I remember when I was watching people play Mario Maker. Every time they touch the screen, like a hand came out. Like an actual, oh, like, well, maybe like, like, stay like that a picture way. of a hand with a stylus. Hey, just because Apple's making all the emojis multicultural doesn't mean Nintendo's gonna make the hand multicultural. <laughs> but <laughs> just, just random thought. Yeah, no, I, I don't know, but uh, I mean, given how much detail they're putting into something like Kirby, I would hope they would. Because not even okay. I have a question. I don't think anyone heard that on the recording. But one of your transformers in your room just, just randomly came to life. It just transformed. <laughs> it, just to be clear, it's clear across your room from us. But it just lit up and tra- or no, that's a window. But it just transformed. That that's what that was. Yeah. Why that, did that, that happen? Do you live inside Toy Story? Are we in a world where your toys can? I don't know, but it, it's coming from Starscream. I don't know why he tends to do that. Was, that was extremely weird. Anyway, back on track. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk Kirby. So I was saying about what was I saying? Details, details. Um. I really do like the attention details. The graphics look really good. And it's also worth knowing, even things like lighting and water effects, which don't really necessarily need to be good in a claymated world, look really good. Like, the water has kind of a cool look. The lighting, there are some parts where you're, like, shining through a cave, and it just looks really good. Um, I also really like that they did a little thing where um, vehicle Kirby turns into vehicles at times. And when he transforms, they mold him into the vehicle. Like, it looks like there's, like, an invisible hand molding him. But before he goes to the vehicle, he very briefly goes into one of his old animal friends from the Dreamland games. So, like, before he turns to the tank, he turns to the hamster for, like, a split second. And you, like, see it, and then it transforms away. And she's like, oh, that's a, that's a cool nod for the longtime fans. Uh, the unfortunate downside of all this detail and how good the graphics are, which you kind of touched on with saying you got to watch on the TV, which was, like, a privilege, is that, yes, it becomes extremely apparent that when you're playing on the gamepad, it is not the same graphical revolu- resolution as the TV. It is not HD, and that is very clear because... 
it almost looks like on the gamepad there's like a weird gloss overlay to the whole game. Like you don't see quite as much detail. You don't see it looks very smoothed out by comparison. It still looks good, but it kind of frustrated me then in order to like actually play the game properly. I had to sacrifice the excellent videos or visuals and settle for like the good visuals, but the great visuals. You know what I mean? Like mm. I kind of look at TV because I made it much harder to use the touch controls. Because yeah, when you tap the screen with the stylus, there's a little spark thing that shows you where you tap on the TV. But it's really hard to kind of draw a line on one screen and then watch where it goes on another and hope they match up. Like, it, t it adds unnecessary challenge. Yeah, the the only remedy that they could have done, which it's not possible on the Wii U, um, pretty much if the gamepad had the same technology that the tablet that I used to draw, like, pretty much, um, like pretty much you could, like, hover your pen over it and mm -hmm. it won't click on anything, but it still tracks your pen wherever it is. So it's kind of like a mouse. Right, right. So, and then when you actually tap, that's when it actually makes contact. But, like, you still know where it is at all times. You don't yeah. even have to look at the... But even then, I feel like for a game like this, it's well, I mean, beneficial like... to have the direct touch, which you, I don't think you can fully replicate oh, no. on TV. No. I mean, a mouse is a step in the right... Like, a mouse mimic is a step in the right Oh, no, direction. no, that's it. Like, no, that's it with the stylus. Like, you just, you're pretty much just hovering over the pen, and then on the TV, you can still see, like, oh, okay, it's, it's on the top right, because you know exactly where it is. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And then no, you just draw. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying even then, I mean, yeah, it kind of... It's like a mirror of what you're seeing, but there's still the advantage of Point, putting it right where you want it to be on one device and seeing it on that device, there's definitely... Actually, it kind of I, feel like that gap, would, for me. I feel like that would work better because then your hand's not even in the way. That's true. That's true. Um, the only reason I'm saying I know it would work is you because... Um, <laughs> well, no. Well, before I had this one because now I have a Sentic where like I'm actually drawing directly on it because sure. it's like, like a second monitor. Yeah, yeah. Um, before I had this, I had another tablet where... It wasn't a screen. I had to draw everything on the computer. Mm -hmm. And and at first I thought, like, wait, if I'm sketching down here, but it's coming out up there, it would be really weird. Yeah. But it it worked really well. I mean, that's how I made that whole rhythm heaven thing with that little right, thing. Right, right, right. So I'm on, like, so if, that's, so if I'm able to do that, then anyone could play like that. True. I mean, it's just, just so you can at least watch the TV. It just, yeah. It's just an option. It yeah, just makes it a little better. I mean, honestly. looks so good on TV and so decent <laughs> on the gamepad. I wish I could. Mm -hmm. But, oh. I mean, luckily... I, were you gonna say something else? Oh no! Well, I was gonna say that multiplayer isn't. Oh, I was gonna get there. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. I'll I'll get there. Yeah. Trust me. I was gonna say, luckily, um, the gameplay, multiplayer, a little less so. But the gameplay to me almost makes up for the fact that I can't really see the insanely good visuals. And I have to sell for a decent because I really enjoyed the game. I mean, as I mentioned, you are a guy in Kirby with touch, so um, it works just as it is in Canvas Curse, uh, which means it worked quite well. But it, it is worth knowing, at least for me, it took... There's a bit of a, like, not a learning curve, but, like, a reminder curve. Like, I had to ease myself back in. There are times, like, at the start, I'd, like, you know, draw... I wouldn't think ahead with how I'm drawing. I'd just draw on the spot, which would mean I'd put Kirby in weird situations. Or, as in Canvas Curse, you have a limited amount of ink. So you have to um, kind of manage how much you draw at any one time. And there are parts where I'd be going across a big gap, and i just have to draw, like, little centimeters of ink, because that's all I had. And Kirby's kind of bouncing from centimeter to centimeter. So that's the sort of thing you have to ease into and get used to again. But in terms of the core gameplay, it's um, it's still really good, I think. And um, it kind of feels less linear than Canvas Curse. I may be remembering Canvas Curse incorrectly. No, but I seem to remember right. Canvas Curse being more point A to point it, B. It was more corridory. Yeah, um, and this, this one, one's uh, very great. We were mentioning Great Cave Offensive. That's what this reminded me of a lot. Yeah, it's it's like, very it's, open. Yeah, it's kind really of open. Like, there's still a point A and a point B. You're still pretty much traveling to the right or down. Yep. But there's this, like, you, you don't really see many barriers so you could go up and up and up and be like oh here's this other thing yeah but in canvas curse um it was definitely you could pretty much see everything you have to look at on the screen 
Yeah. Like, you'll know if there's like, oh, there's a hidden thing there, there's a hidden thing there. But on this one, you actually have to explore for right. lack of a better right. term. Right, right. And I mean, and the thing about the exploration is that's almost where, like, the difficulty comes into access. Because I'm, I'm still obviously playing through the game. So nothing yet has been particularly difficult. Like, if I simply wanted to reach the end of a stage, it's fairly easy to just get there. But if I choose to try and collect as many stars that are hidden around the stage and find the big stars... Um, that's where the challenge comes in. It's kind of like a lot like a Kirby Epic Yarn in that regard. You can get to the end pretty fast, but if you choose to explore and get everything, then you might have a bit of a challenge. And the way they do that is a few different ways because um, some of the stars are really well hidden. There are big stars you can get that um, there's five per stage, and some are extremely well hidden, and some are in like little mini challenge rooms almost. We have to go in and complete a little task, and those can get a little tricky. Um, and they also, all these stars, by the way, unlock in-game figurines and music. So that's kind of motivation to collect them all besides just being a completist. Is you get, the more stars you get, the higher your rank in the stages. Completionist? And, yeah, for completionist. And that, that's a term, right? You got completist. Oh, completionist. Thank you. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, there's, so, not just to get higher rankings, but to unlock all these figurines and game music from not just this game, but a lot of Kirby games. So that, that kind of keeps you going. There's also these hidden diary pages you can find in every stage which kind of piece together what little plot there is sort of not really plot it's just like weird little backstories backstories, like kirby's map in kirby's room but um so that that helps to provide a little more challenge and i've read i haven't gotten there yet but i've read that later stages like the last two worlds in particular are particularly difficult so i'm looking forward to that just assuming i ever get there just to actually have more of a challenge and it's also worth knowing that they do keep things pretty varied in the game through vehicle transformation. So I touched on this earlier, but just a little more detail. They're super, super fun, and they're totally different. So these are more linear. These are point A to point B, at least some of them. Like the tank, for example. You were like a little, you were like a little child. I was. It was so fun. Like, like as soon as I could start, like, I don't know, like your reaction to it was like, I mean, it does look fun, but it doesn't look that I fun. Think, I think it's just, I didn't expect <laughs> it. It's like the simplicity really worked. But each each vehicle controls differently. So the one I was acting like a little kid about was uh, the tank, where all you do is tap the enemies you want to hit, and Kurt just kind of goes along the path. And I was like, this is so fun, I can actually win at this. But real there are real some, quote, it shoots it where I point. It shoots it where I point. In a very excited way. Yep. <laughs> but some of, the, some, of the, <laughs> some of the other vehicles are a little more interesting. Like the submarine, um, you kind of point, you tap where you want it to go, almost Steel Diver style, and that just kind of goes. So that's a lot. that's a lot more like the actual rainbow courses you're drawing just without the rainbows you kind of just guide it and have to plan ahead and think around things uh so the vehicles are a nice touch and then there's a challenge mode that lets you complete a series of challenges kind of like the challenge rooms but they they stack these challenges together so it's like go through these five rooms in a minute or less and do this thing in each one and those are where a lot of difficulty comes in because the later ones get nobly difficult and they also have as you mentioned a co-op mode which is supposed to enhance the single-player experience, and sort of. So basically how it works is uh, up to three other players can come in as Waddle Dees, as you did, Jose, and they play on Wii remotes, and they have full control of their characters. It's very New Super Mario Brothers series in that they have to go where the lead character, in this case Kirby, goes, meaning if I leave the screen, they get warped to where I am next. They, much like in Mario, are kind of doing a competitive cooperation thing where, yes, you're trying to reach the end goal, but you're the three Waddle Dees, not Kirby, are ranked by who gets the most stars and that sort of thing um and the extra wrinkle they add is that when you turn on when you do co-op which is drop in drop out suddenly there are these new rooms added to the main levels that the waddledees are basically protecting kirby kirby can do nothing essentially and the waddledees are the ones playing with all that said not i mean you played as the waddledees i haven't yeah, played as it's not that exciting of a feature yeah i'd say um you kind of want to stick to single player mm-hmm. the, the game is designed for the the stylus yeah so when you throw in waddle d's in this world it's like 
ridiculously easy. Yeah. And kind of boring. Yeah, like you could see they tried to make it work with all the like Mario style stuff, like the com- competitive like, I mean, games I, I could see, and special rooms. I mean, but... I, I could see younger kids like like being fine with it, but but for us adults, yeah, for us adults <laughs> who us want adults. more, it's like too like because the pace at which Kirby moves is fine for Kirby, yep. but it's way too slow for a two D platformer. So you're just yeah. kind of waiting a lot. Uh-huh. Like I'll get to the front of the screen and I'm just like waiting for Kirby to get over there. And the thing is, the wildies still are reliant on Kirby too at times because you're drawing the rainbow paths not just for Kirby but to block obstacles, both single in single and in multiplayer. Yeah. So you have to block a waterfall because Kirby can't be touched by water because he's clay. That makes sense. Or you have to like you know hit an enemy or something. And sometimes the wildies will just be sitting there waiting for you to get there so you could draw the line. And it's just like yeah. it's just too slow. Or you could also make it even easier and just hold Kirby with one of the wildies and, and then just pretty walk much through. and pretty much you're gonna be playing as the main one. Yeah. And then I guess the person could just draw lines for you. Yeah, so it, it's... I guess, it's that, that's, I guess that's one way to make it interesting. It's kind of like... It's kind of like you have to make your own game out of it. Yeah. In many ways, it's a lot like how you choose to... How difficult you choose to make the game. You can either play through it and be happy really easy, or you can come up with your own thing, or collect new... Yeah, all like, the little items to add some challenge. Yeah, like you said with Epic Yarn, it could be the easiest game, or it could actually be really hard. Yeah, so it's kind of the balls in your court, which... It's hard is, to make it. Yeah. So the balls in your court, which, you know, is a good or bad thing, depending on how linear of experience or how little effort you want to put in in creating your experience but i say overall it is a really solid package and a really fun game i mean my biggest complaint is probably the tv issue that i can't just like watch the game in 1080p on my tv i have to sell before 4 on the game to actually play it well and it's um but it's, and it's also kind of short that's, it's on the cheaper end right yes well that's that's my other thing is i just more of a warning than anything else the game is on the shorter side it's seven worlds with about three to four levels per world so you can get through it kind of quick. Even with challenge rooms, it's still Wait, don't they small. call the world levels? Yeah, the worlds are levels, and the levels are rooms, else. stages. Stages. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, there's stages and levels and no worlds. But either way, it's um, there's seven of there's seven overarching with three within. So you can get through it pretty quick. Um, I just didn't have much time because I didn't have my Wii U working. But this is actually a game I can see myself being because it's that short. But to make up for the lack of content, it's also $20 cheaper than a standard Wii U game. And the lack of content isn't that noticeable. Yeah, the game's a bit short, but it has the challenge rooms. You can kind of make what you want, but you can be in a level for a while if you try and get every single star. So there's stuff there. So long story short, I would recommend the game, especially if you're a fan of Canvas Curse, especially if you're a fan of Kirby in general, or even just the experimental Kirby games, so to speak. I'm really enjoying it. For 40 bucks, you can't really go too wrong. It's a very solid touchscreen-based platformer. And it's also kind of cool to see Nintendo return back to the touchscreen gameplay concept that really kicked off the success of touchscreen gaming in general. So... They come full circle. It's very enjoyable. I just wish I could enjoy it in 1080p. But yeah, if you need a Wii U game, I, I definitely recommend it. It's fun. It's very fun. And the art style is so good. Meanwhile, while I was playing that on your Wii U, because mine wasn't working, you, on your Wii U at another point, were playing Lone Survivor. Yep. The eShop tile. So tell us about that. It's funny. It's a survival horror 2D, 2D game. But it's funny because it's survival horror. And I guess the... The atmosphere, like, can get kind of creepy. Like, they encourage you to play with, like, the lights off and headphones and stuff like that. Sure. But sometimes, but because it's, like, a pixelated art style, that looks nice. Um, whenever something that's supposed to come across as, like, scary happens, it uh-huh. ends up just being funny. <laughs> because... Well, why, wait, why? Is it just, like, the art style? Yeah, because, like... Because you, you could tell they're going for, like, creepy, horrible... Like, yeah, like, um... Yeah, horrible art style. Sure. Or horrible atmosphere. Right, but, yeah, um, like horrible art style. Yeah, but, but not, like but, bad art design. But, but nothing looks um, like so detailed that it's creepy. It just looks like like oh they're like oh they're trying to be scary kind of thing. Oh, 
I mean, oh, look at them try so hard. Like, like there was a part where, like, like way in the beginning where, like, you get the flashlight, and then as soon as you, like, and it's like, oh, to turn on the flashlight, um, you press this button, and then as soon as you turn on the flashlight, and you're in a dark room, like, this person, like, was in this room the whole time. Uh-huh. But then, like, it kind of makes, like, a high-pitched shriek, and then it quickly cuts to another room. Okay. So, <laughs> it's, it's like, I don't know, so, I don't know like... That, yeah, no, that sounds a little strange. Yeah, I mean, so you could tell it was supposed to be, like, a jump scare, I guess. Like, oh yeah. my god, but... It didn't quite do it. No. So, what's the premise? Why are you the lone survivor? What happened? So, there's, like, an epidemic that happens and... Virus outbreak? And real. it's kind of weird, because, like, you don't really know if, um... I mean, I don't know, this is, like, what I think, like, I don't think you're... You might your character might already be dead because like everything is kind of getting warped it's, i guess it's a little it's a little like um eternal darkness we have like to watch your sanity mm-hmm. and um it's i mean i like it I, I like um i guess i really like the game but it's just kind of confusing in the beginning because you have so essentially you're supposed to gather resources you have to get food you have to just, um, essentially just following markers, like, from point, well, not, I don't want to say from point A to point B, it's more like, alright, here is point A, go, go to it. And then once you get there, they're like, okay, now I should probably do this in point C somewhere else, and then you have to go to point C, but then you might have to go back to point A. You're just kind of exploring around. But, oh, I gotcha. But you just fold in specific spots. Yeah. And you keep having to double back. Yeah. Gotcha. And... I guess, like, the one thing that you kind of have to get used to is because it is 2D, the map itself is, like, a top-down view of the hotel complex, mm-hmm. which makes sense if you could run around in any direction you want, but because it, you can only go left and right, um, it kind of makes it, wait, so do I go left to go up, or do I go right to go up? Wait, could I go left and right? Yeah, it's almost like a... It, it's a 2D It's a 2D game, but the map... Oh, sorry. For some reason, I made... It, you, it all sounds like Dragon Lair, where it's like, you choose left or right. I oh, no, that's it. Like, do I walk to the left so that I could gotcha. go to the room that's, like, on the top part of the map? Because right, you're seeing right. a top-down. You don't see a left to right. It's not like a Metroid-style map. You're looking at, like, the blueprints of a hotel, essentially. Right, right. I got you. So, so I pretty much just, like, found my way around by looking at the room numbers. Because mm-hmm. that's, like, kind of how you could tell, because the room numbers are labeled on the thing. And... The character, um, I guess you also, you die kind of easily, which I guess is the whole point of the survival horror game. Right. So you have to find ways to get around monsters, you have to sometimes, like, leave food so that they could go there, and then you can, like, mm-hmm. shimmy across. Shimmying is a big part of the game. And you can also, once you, like, explore a new place, you could fast travel using mirrors. And there's also, there's even, like, gun combat, but you don't want to waste all your bullets, and bullets do alert other monsters to you, so it's kind of that... Yeah, it's almost like a stealth thing, kind of like Metal Gear. Yeah, it's, yeah. If anything, I would consider more of a stealth game than a stealth survival game than a um, survival horror. Sure, but I don't. I, I really liked it. It's um, I was always curious about it, but it was never on the Wii U until now. So. And it's not just, from my understanding, it's it's not just standard edition. It's the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. So is it worth the thirteen bucks to you? You think? I, I, I'd say so. It's a it's a really cool experience. Definitely on like every anything I've played. It does have a really cool art style, actually. Yeah, it's like a... I'm looking. I'm looking through screenshots right now as we're talking about it, and it's uh, I guess kind of a cool. It's like pixelated, but also kind of like a static sort of thing going on, like a grid. Like I don't know how to. Are these screenshots zoomed in? They seem zoomed in. No, that's how it looks. That's how it looks. It's, it's a cool look. I like it a lot. Yeah, it, it definitely looks unique, and I mean, like it could be creepy at most, but I wouldn't say scary. Yeah, well, this explains why you weren't freaked out by the jump scare because it doesn't look realistic whatsoever. Yeah, which you kind of said earlier, but now that I'm seeing it firsthand. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's it's, it's a small game. It's not very long. Right, right. Something you could check out if you have extra time. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think it's another example of, like, kind of... At least from what you're saying, it sounds like it's another example of kind of, like, a different experience on the Wii U from an indie. Like, kind of just further fleshing out that library of what you can and can't play. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, so you'd recommend it? I'd recommend it. So, yeah. that's two solid recommendations and one person complaining about their Wii U breaking. Sounds like a good what, what we're playing segment. Uh, but no, that, that, I think that pretty much does it for this episode of the show. Um, thanks as always for listening. We will be back in two weeks time on March 22nd with our next episode of the show that will include actually a whole bunch of stuff. We have codename, excuse me, we're going to have codename Steam Impressions. We have those Pokemon Shuffle Impressions that were going to happen this episode. But? But, yeah, they didn't. Um, so they're coming next episode. I haven't had a chance to play enough to really give an honest take, so... I, I just watched it download. You just watched it download, and there's no way. I mean, you can give impressions of how the download process went. Um, I moved. I was actually on the phone with you while it was downloading. Oh. Uh, I think we were talking about what time to record. Oh. And, I was and the time is now. And I, and I was just shaking the the little cube around. You know how you could do right, the camera right. angle for some reason. So you'd recommend the process. I'd recommend you watch the process. Yeah. All right. Okay. So there you go. We don't need to talk about shuffle. No, we're gonna seriously talk about Pokemon Shuffle next episode. Long code named Steam. Of course, we have the latest news and whatever else may pop up. May have impressions about other games too. So that's on March twenty second. We also would love to do another mailbag, so if anyone has questions for us, I know I said this earlier, but again, hit us up at contact at ramtown.com with those questions, or better yet, there's a contact form on the site, just type it in there and send it over. Um, or, you know, if you want to leave a comment about this episode, anything you like or dislike, any opinions you think are wrong or correct, or you agree or disagree with, you can do that on the blog post for this episode, that's 92. You can also see what we think about other things in life, or games in a more timely manner, by following us on Twitter, I'm JSR7, Jose is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. That's also his Miiverse handle, where you can friend and follow. Or you can friend and follow me oh. on your Transformers going off again. He or just you can, transformed back to Yes, me. he did. Yeah. Or you can friend and follow me at Jason R on Miiverse. And now that my Wii U is working again, I can actually respond to you. So that's that's dandy. Um, also, to make sure you don't miss the episode, I'm just he's going bad. through. He's going crazy. He is hating these plugs. He's just like, shut up, Jason. But no, um, that's the third time now. Um, Assuming people can even hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone can. But uh, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss our next episode, which is coming again on March 22nd, follow us on Twitter, the, the Ram Nintendo Twitter, at Ram Nintendo, or subscribe to us on iTunes, or, oh my god, stop it, Transpar. Seriously, he's like, Jason, you're plugging too much. He's going off every two seconds. That's I'm so bad. weird. Why it's is so that weird. happening? He really doesn't like these plugs. Either way, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on your podcast app of choice. If you do subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave, leave a review. It'll help us move on up in the rankings. And I get it, Transformer. I'm wrapping up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that pretty much does it. So we will see you back on March 22nd for all sorts of Nintendo stuff. And in the meantime, I'm going to play my Wii U that now works again. Huzzah!